What'd you think? Oh, it's amazing. So just stay there for a sec. Okay. That was incredible. I saw a little hand up in the air over there. Actually. Yeah, that's the broken hand. Oh, that's my right hand. Yeah. <laughs> so that this, was incredible. I mean, there's so much to, to do in there, really. Like it's just, yeah, it's kind of a sandbox. Like, there's a ton of stuff to interact with and do. Yeah, I was, which is, I was just trying to do that, just find things to do or whatever, because I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not a gamer, right? is that we do not have to laboriously shovel out negative thoughts. All we have to do is replace them with positive thoughts. And welcome back to the Graham America show. A little bit later, we'll be chatting with Graham. Denny, from, <laughs> Denny from Cloudhead Games, the creative director and founder, and also Mark Allard, who's written a book called... Uh, regressions and he's also coming out with an album and some music videos to match fascinating guy all around but first as always the dastardly despicable darren not too bad coming from graham there's a fly down my pants Dunlop. <laughs> <laughs> so we're starting off the first show in our brand new studio which used to be an igloo now it's a sweat lodge <laughs> Yes, it's definitely not. We were worried about heating this place in the winter. That's not going to be a problem. I think our new biggest concern is cooling it. Actually, I don't, I don't agree. I think that this is going to be one of those things that when it, in the summer it's boiling hot and in the winter it's fucking freezing cold. You think so? Yeah. Because when we first so. put it up, we, it was cold in here. Yeah, but that was because it wasn't a sealed thing. Like I th honestly think this room is heating up just because of us, us and the equipment. Because this shit gets fucking warm. So it's like you got a little fucking heater here, a little heater here, a little heater here, oh, a little maybe. heater here, a little heater there, a mm. little heater there. Yeah. And then us two jackass heaters spouting out hot air. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> so this is an episode that, that, uh, we sort of a special one, I guess I, I recorded it on the digital recorder <clears throat> on the road trip to Vancouver. Did you the task and cam? Darren and I figured we'd just put it out as a extra kind of episode. Is this an extra? Is this a bonus? Kind of. I mean, maybe not. We'll it see. Depends on how quickly we can get another one out. That's well, not a good time to be throwing out extra episodes after the move. Yeah, we're kind of out of sync, actually. I'm a little bit disorganized. We have no in this. We know we had no interview last week because the move took longer than expected. And we have no interview next week, and we're piling all the rest of them the week after. That's right. So then we'll have extra cut. No, and then we're taking another two weeks off. Because you're going away. Yeah. yeah. But we'll have pre... I plan to have those episodes pre... pre um, Pre-releasable? Pre-releasable, yeah. That means you'll have to have the show notes done, too, because I'm trying to do everything. Fucking bingo, bango. Okay. And set the timer to release them. Okay. That's the fucking lengths we go to to make sure you guys get your grimerica fix that's right i guess this is stuff we could be talking about off air too <laughs> oh really it's good to fill these guys in once in a while yeah he jumps right into the ufo quote of the week 
So what is this one? This is a, this might be a little challenging to read here. Cape race bearing west by north, distance 10 miles, wind strong south by east. A large ball of fire appeared to rise out of the sea to a height of about 50 feet and come right against the wind close up to the ship. It then altered its course and ran along the ship to a distance of about one and one half miles. In about two minutes, it again altered its course and went away to the southeast against the wind. It lasted, all in all, not over five minutes. That's Captain Moore, captain of the British steamship Siberian, November 12, 1887. Classic USO. Nice, eh? Yeah. That's an old, old one. You're still sometimes breaking through my ground defenses. I don't know what it is about your voice, it just penetrates. In a good way, I hope. Well, it's a good way to me, you don't bother me most of the time, but... Sorry, buddy. Darren's trying to stop me from coming through to his mic. So enough of the inside baseball. It's punchy. It's punchy? Okay. Sorry. Not your fault. I'm trying to be less punchy. Be less punchy. So I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Reflective Air if you want to just do that now. Oh yeah, okay, keep talking. The guys from the UK, they have a podcast out. It it only comes out about once a month or once every couple months. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah, cool. And they talked about us in their last episode. And anyways, I wanted to give a shout out and say that was a great episode. It really was. Um, One of my favorites. And I think they've actually got really something, something really good going there kind of no agenda ish. And I know they've also got some interests that are similar to ours. So the episode was good, except for the the part where not Morgan called me fruity. And I just wanted to tell him that there's perfectly logical and rational reasons why I think they could redesign the vajankle. And that's, that's all I'm going to say. That doesn't mean I'm a fruit. Um, I'd, I'd be a melon if I was a fruit. Is a melon a fruit? Yeah. For sure now. Yeah. Yeah, so, they, they got a good show over there for sure. Absolutely. I just wish it came out more often. One more thing. Not Morgan. Darren does listen to your show, actually. I don't know. I've been emailing with him. Oh, good. Oh, have you? Well, you're yeah. not going to fucking... I don't trust that, actually. <laughs> I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> I've been emailing, and I don't I've trust been, that you guys aren't setting me up for something. <laughs> I've been emailing with Morgan and not Morgan. Really? Yeah. Oh, boy. So keep your head up. Yeah. Actually, no, I sent them, uh, I, they had mentioned the Bitcoin thing, so I figured I'd send them Bitcoins while Bitcoins were high. Oh, very good. And they'll send it back to us when they're low. Exactly. We do accept Bitcoin donations here and just cash and whatever else. Actually, we've just had send people send cash. in uh, cash. Key- <laughs> yeah, cash, actually. And uh, actually, I'd like to thank, thank Bill for that. Yeah, let's thank some people. I want to talk about the... That's one of the coolest uh, things we've got, I think. Right, right. Well, I wish I had a record now? player. Do you uh, want to read that? No, you can. Re- you read something. You read some shit while I try and sort out this jingle. Okay, so Bill, Bill sent us some cash. Thanks, Bill. Really, really appreciate it. Um, and we're gonna send. Uh, we gave him an email address, Bill at Grimerica.ca. I think he did. Darren did, or he's gonna. Not yet. I'm gonna write that on the table. Should I read the the recent uh, letter? Sure. So we just got an uh, an actual album 
like a real record album. You don't say ham, you say spam. It's a spam jangle. Thanks, Darren. That was who was? Uh, if it was that Neil Davies that made that, yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> What was that? That's not in the recording, don't worry. So anyways, firstly, Gramerica has genuinely become my favorite podcast. Every episode has something to offer, and that's not just because you once featured some of our music. Which I'm going to seek feature that music in this episode as well. Okay. That's, uh, and that was great, greatly appreciated. You're welcome to do whatever you want with it. It's copyright free. It's because you have guests like Richard Barrett and Don Oscar Miro Casada. You guys treat people like crow and hellier he was great actually with fairness and respect and then balance that lunar wave business by following up with the flores episode i promise to donate more regularly and i'll continue to recommend the show to friends have people in the back today i'd like to send you some gift spam a copy of our latest release on the label we have just pressed up a very limited run for our new guy official burnt toast He's Canadian from Toronto via Jamaican family, now living in London, where I met him and produced this for him, his debut on Sanskrit. Tubs and Tung Fu. <laughs> We're dead proud of it. Check out the track Money is Debt, which made me think of the episode you did with John Perkins. That was the, um, the finance, what was that called again? The economic hitman. The economic hitman himself. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thanks, uh, Patrick. Yeah, Patrick's been around from day one. He's supported the show. He's uh, let us use his mu music. And uh, I think he runs a label, so he's got all sorts of music, all sorts of artists. Um, unfortunately, we do not have a record player for the studio, nor do we have room for one. Right. Nor do we need the heat, the extra heat. Yeah. But uh, we will check out the Dropbox and download the tracks. Absolutely. Maybe we could actually I'll play out this episode with one of the tracks. Yeah. And, and the people have also been sending in T-shirt designs. So oh, yeah, I'm looking at, right. I'm looking at, uh, I've been trying to find some proper quotes and some proper T-shirts to be made. Oh, something just fuck up there. And um, yeah, there's been some really cool designs. So, so we're trying to like get some listeners uh, to help out with that kind of stuff as well. I, I mean, I don't know what we're going to do. It people are asking for some T-shirts because we had a couple of cool ones made, um, but we don't know how we're going to actually do it. If if it if there's not a lot of them, we'll still manage it before we sort of create a store or something like that. And then other ways you can help support the show is uh, send your spam. And two grand stories like synchronicities, UFO reports and trip reports, lucid dreams, all that kind of fun stuff. We like to get people involved. I've got some here to read too, if you want. Somewhat synchronicities. Yeah. Unless you want to talk more about donations and how to support yeah, the show. talk about support a bit more while I try and get this fucking thing working. Do you have that blue thing? Yeah, I can. Oh, something's going on. Play with your cord there. <clears throat> Which Back cord? Back your mic. Really? <laughs> Okay, should be better. Yeah, is it a little loose? Is it a blue cord? Yeah, somewhere, but I have to step away from the mic to get it, so... That's fine, step away. What are you going to do? Trick me? Yeah, so, of course, check out grammarica.ca slash support for all our monetary donation options. Um, 
big thanks to our subscribers we currently have and we are always looking for more so by all means check out dryamerica.ca slash support um and uh, there's options there anywhere from a dollar to uh, i think 33 dollars a month um and we've got people all over the spectrum so um I think our most popular usually is the 550, which is our basically our bucket episode. And yeah. If everyone gave us a bucket episode, we'd be laughing. Yeah. We could have an air conditioner for the studio. We'd be out of debt. <laughs> we do have gas sometimes in the studio. It's gear acquisition syndrome. But it is all to improve the quality, really. But yes. But like air we bought the digital recorder and, and the new mixer and all that kind of stuff. So. And the igloo. That's right. And the actual studio itself. You now reside in in the garage. Okay, give me a uh, synchro. I want a good score for my synchronicity. Graham reads it out, then Darren might give it to me. Hey, don't you please read it low? Yeah, yeah. Okay, this is kind of a strange one. It's, uh, I, I like it though. It's one of these interesting ones. So this is from Rachel. She says, howdy, Graham. I've, I know I've had plenty of them, but every time you ask for a synchronicity, I can't think of any. I was listening to the Stargate episode and the 9-11 story reminded me of my own. I had relocated to Dallas probably three months prior to 9-11 and was trying to save money. So I only paid for my basic satellite stations. Back in those days, you couldn't even get a local news channel without paying extra. I was working nights at the time. I had just gotten off my shift and got home that Tuesday morning exhausted. But something was nagging me to watch the news. I called the satellite company and it took a freaking hour just to add the local news to my subscription. After hanging up the phone about five minutes later, I had the news. First image I see is a smoking World Trade Center building. No one at that time knew what happened yet. The reporters were calmly speculating on some kind of fire. About 30 seconds after I had the news on, the second plane hit the building. I watched it happen live. Boy, did that shoot chills up my spine. Not sure if that was synchronous enough to rank, but I'm hoping to hear one of your jingles. <laughs> Love the show. Keep it up. Thanks, Rachel. Hmm. Well, That's kind of creepy, eh? Yeah. You finally get the news, you turn it on, and that happens? Yeah. Hmm. Is it a synchro? A precog. More of a precog. Yeah, kind That's of, why yeah, she got the news. Like the ripple stick kind of thing, yeah. I'll give it a seven. Seven, two, and I'll give her a bonus jingle. <laughs> I'm a rambling gram with synchronicity. So she gets our two all time favorite web. jingles. And Darren is skeptical about everyone And don't believe it yet Yeah, those are funny jingles And those are from listeners too So that's another way you can help out the show It's awesome Make us jingles And of course, reviewing us on iTunes also like helps I hate asking for that, but it really does help Nobody listens anyway To what? To the iTunes review requests What do you mean? Well, people don't, do you mean people don't do it? No, it doesn't seem like it yeah, they do. Every once in a while. Every once in a while. Yeah. Everyone should just go do it this week. Yeah. We'll have a hundred new reviews next for next show. Yeah. That's a challenge. So speaking of that Stargate episode, I have a, an email from a longtime listener. Longtime listener? Larry Kay. 
Oh, Larry Kay. So he says, okay, but I'm not a fucking liar, he says. That's the title Uh-oh. of his email. Uh-oh. Yeah. Graham, just finished listening to the podcast with the remote viewing reveal. 21056611. When these were first given out, I wrote them down and tried it. A location popped into my mind, but I knew how you were supposed to get like a description, sounds, colors, shapes, etc. Not a definite place. But like the white elephant, I couldn't get the thing out of my mind, so I said, fuck it. And when I heard what the remote viewing target was, I said, no way. You guessed it. I had seen the Eiffel Tower at the very beginning. I never sent what it was, what I saw, because I didn't think it worked that way. (laughs) Whatever you think, (laughs) I'm not sure what to think. I love you guys and love the podcast. One of your supporters, Larry. So, actually, that little exercise we did is pretty crazy. We had, if you include his, we had three Eiffel Towers and one structure that could very well be the Eiffel Tower. That's quite a percentage. That is. And then I had that Eiffel Tower experience with Mark on the drive, which is appropriate because this is the episode that it happened on. We were talking about it. That was after. The reveal was the week after that week that we drove oh, back. Oh, was it? You didn't know yet when you drove back from Vancouver? I knew the reveal was coming. But, but you didn't know the set. Uh, I that it was Eiffel Tower now. Huh. Can I read some more feedback? Uh, sure. So this is from Fiona. Just wanted to let you guys know how much I enjoy your show. I only recently came across it by accident on YouTube when I was searching for anything and everything about Laird Scranton. Oh, actually, Fiona Laird. should Fiona should go to Paradigm if she likes Laird because he'll be speaking again and he's into some really really crazy shit about the pre-civilization history coming from like the north around the UK instead of the south. And he does great presentations at Paradigm and he hangs out and chats with everybody. Oh yeah, he's he's a super cool dude. Yeah, he's friendly. And his wife's great too. Yeah. So I used to be an avid listener of Coast to Coast AM, not a member of their club, just an illegal YouTube post listener. Ha ha. But to be perfectly honest, Honest, George Norrie gets on my nerves. And this is going to be a show about George Norrie, too, because we talk about it quite a bit in the episode. I swear he doesn't even listen to what the guests are saying and ask the same stupid questions every time, if he asks questions. And then I found you guys, and you're Canadian. High five to being Canadian. I love how laid back you guys are and the listening and the interesting conversations that arise during the show. Up until now, I've stuck to listening mainly to alternative history with a side of aliens, but I love your show so much. I've been listening to everything, whether I'm interested in it or not. I love that everything isn't all doom and gloom. The end times are upon us. If I'm ever at West, I'd love to bump into you guys at a conference. And I just made a donation. She says, sorry, it couldn't be a bigger donation. Anyways, thanks for that, Fiona. Everything else. Thanks for being awesome. From Toronto. Awesome. Toronto, the dirty south. South? Yeah, that's Kinda. what we call it in Ontario. Oh, yeah? Southern Ontario is the dirty south. Um, I don't know, man. Should we read more? I don't know. I feel like no, I got more feedback, more. but maybe we'll save that. Yeah, we don't need more feedback. You got anything cool I can rate? Uh, yeah, actually. I'm feeling going. ratey. Yeah? Do you want a jingly, too? Oh, we are, okay, one more. Ooh, ah, ooh, <laughs> ooh, 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 
city it's time for another just before i read this uh, remind me i've been keeping track of a bunch of small ones of my own that i want to share with you that's my point <laughs> but not Save today for the psilocybin sequel oh, maybe i'll be more lenient <laughs> just give everybody a 9.5 that's a 10 man so this is from this is from uh, Ferdinand. He says, hey, Graham, Ferdinand here back again. Got another synchro for you. So out of the blue, I was asked to fill in on a guitar for a covers band for a gig this coming Saturday, the 27th. The only song I was given to lead vocals on was Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. And nice. I had this stuck in my fucking head all day long. You have? Yeah, after I read this. Pissed me off. That ain't working. <laughs> That's the part. But I decided to bail as I figured the vocals were too much work, too much hard work to coordinate with the guitar playing in the short notice, short notice of time between now and the gig. However, upon letting the fellows in the band know I would not be able slash willing to perform such a task, along with the 25 other songs, I listened to Miguel Connor's latest Aeon Byte Gnostic radio upload, only to find him quote the very song at 4.43 to my very face in a stanza about hard work. Money for nothing and your chicks for free. <laughs> I still don't plan on performing the song this Saturday, but maybe I should, but I won't. If I end up delivering color TVs and refrigerators, I'll let you know, and then maybe spill myself. Synchro, yours truly, Ferd. Seven, six oh. and a half. Six and a half. Okay, that's pretty good. That's fair. Yeah, because I have a bunch of those that are that that caliber, like a whole handful of my own. He's shaking let's, his head. Give me a right tester. Now. <laughs> give me a tester. Let's test one. Let's see where you're at, so you know if they're worth saving. Or can I give you a, a whole combo of them that happened? No. In one night, one. like a whole bunch of them that happened in one night. One. 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 Okay, I was driving with Mark, like on this episode, actually, Mark and I were talking about, I was saying, hey, I thought I saw that there was an open house at the Freemasons Lodge. And he was like, oh yeah, that'd, that'd be cool. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to check that out next time, next time, it, next time it comes up. He's like, I'm like, it was, I was saying, oh, it's a, it's a while ago. So the next morning I'm driving to work, driving by the Freemasons Hall, and there's a big sign of the open house up. Like, for, like, hasn't been there for a year whenever the last open house was. I had no idea it was coming up. I just mentioned that, oh, yeah, it'd be cool if there's an open house. And then the next time I drive by, there's a sign there. Um, so that's just, like, that happens to me every day, like, five times a day. It even happened when I came in here tonight. Four and a half. Let's hear the here one. <laughs> hear the what? The one that you came here on. When you no. came in, I made you move your car. Well, because I was just reading about this. If I should read about the psilocybus episode, and you and I just walk over there, and then you told Joey about having more mushrooms and then doing well, all the psilocybus. Easy. So. easy. Nobody has any illegal drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. Mushroom pizza. Mushroom yeah. pizza. Yeah. So that, like, you know, little things like that happen all the time. Hmm. There was another one in here, too. I'm trying to remember it. Was it, was it, was it a sweat lodge synchro? Something that... No. So, 
No. Are you having sweat lodge flashbacks? No. I might pass out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's about it, buddy. Um, so we have Denny Unger, who's uh, going to talk to me a little bit. I went to the studio, did a demo, and these guys are like sort of on the forefront of some really cool VR technology with an adventure game. So we get into... Did you have of, the 2K one? Kind of all things VR. No, we're going to do so. another VR night soon, eh? Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah, get him to bring his computer over, and we'll 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 get that. He's got a new game. What game? What's for the Oculus? So try that again. Yeah, perfect. And, and then uh, and then after that, chatting with Mark Allard about all kinds of cool stuff and kind of like everything from personal development and spirituality to to VR again and the George Norrie show and his creative endeavors. It's pretty cool. Yeah, of course you won't hear Jeremy. me. I wasn't there. I was here building the studio. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> okay, guys, enjoy this uh, special Graham Erica episode and uh, we'll be back to a regular format next week. I think. Hopefully. Hopefully. So it's Graham from the Great America Show here at Cloudhead Studios with Danny Unger. Hey, buddy. Hey, Graham. How's it going? Good. Really good. We just thought we'd try out this new digital recorder here. Actually, I should probably thank uh, thank the listeners for their donations to help out with our gas. That's a gear acquisition syndrome. But no, we <laughs> no, we should be able to do some field reports like this. And I'm in uh, Cloudhead Studios on the island, and I just tried out Danny's new uh, demo for the gallery six elements and it's on the the vive which is htc's version of the oculus rift so tell me if i'm saying something i shouldn't say but we just i just had uh, basically an immersive experience in a totally different world <laughs> my my sister was going to record this but apparently she forgot to hit the button no <laughs> Really no. <laughs> so so um yeah the first, good, the first part congratulations. Of the video black. <laughs> congratulations on the game. It's amazing. Like truly immersive Thanks. experience. I should just say that um the you know the work that HTC did with Valve to do this headset um it was developed in parallel with what Oculus was doing at the time. Um Valve had been doing a lot of research into augmented reality and virtual reality for years and uh the technologies in this headset are pretty unique from what Oculus is doing. Um, so it's kind of its own, its own breed of VR. Right. Yeah. Well, I did, I did try the Oculus. I have like the DK two. Mm -hmm. I split it with a guy and we've played some games on that and it made me sick. 
Yeah. Like the roller coasters and some of that. I mean, I don't know what, you know, a roller coaster game would be like in this, but it would still even, make you sick. Even those other games that weren't roller coaster rides, I felt a little queasy in yeah. this thing. I did not feel sick at all. Well, and I was walking through yeah. your environment, walking within your environment, within the room. So yeah. So that the thing that makes people sick, it, it's generally not really the hardware's fault. I mean, it is in a way. It's it's it does, it's kind of a conscious design choice when you're building for VR. Anything that causes vection, which is uh, artificial accelerations. So anything that your body's not physically doing has the potential to make you feel sick. So rotational accelerations or forward, back, or up and down, any of those things, if you're not physically doing the action, it can maybe potentially make you sick. So as a designer for VR, you have to make sure that anything that's being driven through the game, any movement is, is all being generated by you, the person. And that way, there's a one-to-one -one recognition with your vestibular system in your ear that tells you and tells your brain, I'm actually doing these things. I can feel it. Everything's syncing up and connecting. And it's not being artificially driven at all. And wow. so like a roller coaster makes you sick in a VR experience. It would make you sick on any VR platform, right, potentially, right. Yeah, be yeah. because you're doing this forward acceleration and you're seeing forward movement, but you're not feeling it in your ear, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so when I was in your demo there and that we, I took the elevator thing up. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't even feel queasy at all. So, that. so there's different levels of vestibular disconnect, okay. dif different tolerances. And right. we found that um, lateral or vertical moves up and down tend not to make people ah, feel sick. So okay, it's a safe, okay. it's a safe transit that you can do with artificial locomotion. Um, and generally forward and back too are okay. But if you do sidestepping, Right. That's artificially driven. That's a kind of a no-no. Or if you do rotations, that's a huge no-no. It's it's actually the the worst one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. How did but you how did you learn all this stuff? It's just crazy. Trial and error for three years. Like wow. Learning what makes people feel crappy. Yeah. Yeah. It, your game was incredible. How um you can move all the way through it. Like you can walk through some of it. And you can kind of teleport through some of it in a way, and you can interact with the objects. Like I had that. Uh, and you're watching me do this, which is weird because I feel like I'm I feel like I'm in this my own environment in yeah. there that nobody can watch me. Like I'm in my own like I really feel like I'm mm -hmm. separated. Yeah. But yeah, you guys are watching what I'm doing on the screen. And then so I could even pick stuff up and throw it and it looks like the thing's going yeah. like so twenty feet ahead or whatever. It's exactly. crazy. That's the key difference between what HTC and Valve are doing from what Oculus is doing, is that they they're doing something called room scale, so you can actually move around within a volume, physically walk around, right? And it's, so it's like it's like holodeck version one, you know? Right, right. Um, and so we're kind of trying to establish rules for the holodeck, the first holodeck, which is exciting. And but you have hands too, so you can actually interact and do all those fun things. And you can like lay down on the floor if you want and just hang out and look up and yeah. see everything that's up there. Like you really are immersed in it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what's what's next for you? Where are you at with with this whole thing? Um, well, so Valve and HTC pulled us into like the secret summit before Christmas um, to talk about what they were doing and where they were going to take things and when they were going to release this to the public. And it was a very short timeline to, to launch. Um, so we very quickly kind of refactored our game to make sure that we're going to hit the same launch date. So it's the last quarter of this year is when everything goes public and people can buy this stuff, right? Wow. So that, that's kind of where we're at. We're releasing four episodes. Yeah. Um, and, and they're about two hours each. So, yeah. So, what do you mean by that? Two hours each. They're, they're, it's like two-hour experiences. You know, you you play from if if you're kind of 
moving through at a normal pace, you'd you'd kind of make it through each episode in two hours. Okay. But what we think will actually happen is that people will kind of tend to linger in every area because that's kind of what you do or you feel like doing in VR. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So it'll probably be much longer. Even in all video games, from what I remember, I mean, it's been so long for me. I'm not really a gamer, but I used to want to try every little thing in each area. So mm -hmm. you could spend, like, from what I saw in this <clears throat> demo, I could spend forever in one little section trying all the little things. Well, yeah, and we're hiding stuff in the environments. Like, there's weird opportunities. Like, you can hide uh, a secret note under a table, and the person actually has to bend down and look under the table to find it, right? Like, you can embed information in ways that you could never do in a normal video game. Wow. Yeah. And you have a team of people working on this creatively? Yeah. You're the creative director, right? So yeah. you have sort of final say? Yeah. But, every, I mean, everybody's it, – it, it requires everybody's full effort. So right. I'm not, I don't take responsibility right. for yeah. everything that's going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, so there's – I think we – at last count, there's 14 of us. Which, so we started with three. And yeah. We had to scale up very quickly over the last year. Yeah. And you just got brand new hardware from HTC, is it? Yeah. So – so I was trying out the basically the the wireless hand controls, mm -hmm. and uh, was the was the was the uh, the main contraption new too, or that is it, was it? It, it got lighter. Um, the key difference was the weight, um, and the there used to be two uh, front facing cameras on the original prototype that we okay. received. Um, and the idea with that is that when you approach sort of the edge of your, your safe bounds in your room, like what you do is you, when you first get the hardware, you calibrate your play space. So if you only have a living room with a carpet in front of you, you have to tell the system, this is where my safe play space is. And so it knows spatially how far you can walk around. Right. 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 Um, and so the, what, what we hope is still going to happen is there'll be two ca front facing cameras on the front of the headset. So when you, cross over into that hardbound, that not safe zone, you'll actually see your real environment come into VR. So you'll actually see your living room or whatever as you approach that limit, right? Oh. As you push towards it. Okay. Currently, there's a chaperone system that shows kind of like a, a blue grid in front of you as you approach that wall. Oh, yeah. What? Sorry. Why would, you, why would you want, just out of curiosity, I mean, I saw the blue grid in there as I would walk too far in the room. Mm -hmm. um, would would it, would you want? Why would you want uh, your own environment to show there to fade in? Well, for safety reasons, I think. Like, um, you know, it's because for the blue wall, you could just still walk right through it, kind of. Well, you're you're being told that that's the hard limit, yeah, visually. But it's always better to be able to see your actual environment when you're coming into a, a danger zone. So you'll right. like if you have any protrusions, your TV sticking out. There's a I don't know what an the ornament corner, on your the corner shelf. of your table or something. Exactly. You'll you'll actually get that pass through effect where you'll see the the real environment. Wow. You know, it it'll be good because it it'll kind of pull you out of that experience and smoothly oh, transition yeah, to yeah, the yeah. to okay. the real world. You know. Okay. Yeah, so this is the and the controllers are quite cool. They're they're very accurate. This like we've worked with a lot of different types of controllers um, in the past, but these are one to one. They don't feel detached from you at all. I mean, so this can represent anything in game, but we're using it for hands, right? Um, but so we just got new wireless controllers from HTC, which we're testing right now, um, and they're brilliant. They're really good. Um, it, it's so freeing and it helps you engage the virtual world in a way that you kind of need to. To really yeah. feel connected yeah. to it, right? Yeah. So when I was in there, I could see my hand, and as I used the controller, I would be able to grab things and let them go. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's quite quite an unreal. Yeah. 
So, so can you talk about the technology at all about how we, how it recognizes you within that room space, mm -hmm. within that space? I can loosely talk about it. I'm not an engineer, but well, <laughs> so, or is it proprietary? Is there any proprietary? No, uh, Valve has been pretty open with all of this stuff, um, and they they'll explain it much better than I can. But essentially, there's two base stations called lighthouse units. They're very small, and they sit in the corner of your room, and it. It's basically bathing your room with lasers, and these lasers are spinning at a certain frequency, and they're called dumb units because they're not actually attached to your computer or anything. You just kind of throw them up in your environment, and the headset and the controllers are looking for those lasers to get some kind of spatial awareness of where you are in the in the room, in the volume, we call it. Um, and the cool thing is you can cluster these things. They're, they're cheap. They will be you know con conceivably affordable, but you can cluster them so that you can you know, track yourself in a living room or a warehouse or any size, right? If you have a big enough volume for it, you can basically play a game from beginning to end by physically walking through it or not. You can, if you have to sit down in one spot, it scales to that as well. So, hmm. yeah. So how, how does it actually tell when you're walking upstairs? Like I, I was walking through your cave there mm -hmm. and I'm actually walking up and down and it feels like you're walking up and down. Like it is pretty, yeah. pretty crazy. Uh, so while well, in the game you're or or in any kind of simulated experience you can you can create a virtual grade where you're physically walking up that grade and it'll <laughs> visually it'll will come across as you're actually traveling up that grade but in reality you're still walking across a flat flat plane right um, so the system is only tracking your your distance cross from point A to point B but in the in the game world it'll feel like you're going yeah, up yeah it's just a visual yeah definitely definitely feels like you're in a different world. So tell me about this. My sister was telling me about your experience in a, in a VR sort of meeting. Oh, yeah. when, when am I going to be able to, like, I know we, you were on the show, I don't know how long ago, nine months maybe ago or something like that. And we were talking about this, but even since then things have changed. Like since then valve and HTC have come out with this thing and uh, this technology is moving pretty fast. So when, when are we going to be able to see like VR podcasts or VR like meeting spaces mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Like you were in one recently, right? Do you yeah, want to talk it was about that? pretty interesting. It's called AltSpace VR, and it's a it's a social meeting platform for virtual reality. And so I was invited to speak on a panel with a bunch of other guests. And so you go and you choose your avatar, and then you walk into this room, and they've created this kind of nice hangout area with a stage, and they can have video playing and whatever, and. Uh, there's audience members and they're participating and asking questions. They can walk up to you and ask their question. And these audience members are people that are actually like with a headset yeah, on somewhere. Everybody's wearing their headsets and they're all sitting in the audience talking to you. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty, I, I thought of you when I was doing it. And <laughs> the weird thing is that two, I was in there for two hours. We were taking, it was Q and a for two hours and I had no recollection of the time. Like it just went by very quickly. You were fully immersed. Yeah, and uh, kind of forgot myself because you know, there's kind of this weird threshold when you're in after like an hour, you stop kind of consciously recognizing the real world wow. in a weird way, you know? It takes about an hour? Yeah. I mean, it, I guess it kind of would depend on how, how you're being engaged, you know? And the type of person you are probably. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. and the activity that you're doing. But yeah, you quickly kind of get sucked into that being your your perceived reality, right? Wow. Um, but yeah, it was a really interesting experience. It was a positive experience. I didn't feel nauseous or anything weird. Hmm. It was really well done. Yeah. Hmm. And that's just going to become more pervasive. Like, yeah. So I guess facial recognition or facial mapping will come out. So you could, you could post an avatar that's similar looking to you. 
Yeah, yourself? so th there's really interesting research being done by Oculus right now where they're taking here but anyways um the inside liner of a headset they're embedding sensors they've currently embedded four sensors two at the top of the brow two down here um oh thanks so this isn't an oculus but um this is the vive so they've embedded a sensor in the two top bands so it catches your brow and the two bottom bound bands and it catches your cheeks and from that information they can tell if you're um Sorry, can I pass? I'll put this here. <laughs> From that information, they can tell if you're um, raising your eyebrows or if you're squinting your eyes um, or if you're smiling even. They can get little tweaks here. Um, and then they've got eye tracking in the lenses so they can determine where your pupil is looking. And then there's a camera that's looking for your mouth and looking for mouth movements and shapes. So the idea is that you would have a pre-scanned avatar that's you. Um, you inject that into the experience and then they can do full facial capture um, real time. So conceivably in the not too distant future, like four years even, maybe less, you'll be able to scan your body into VR, have a conversation with me and I'll look like me and you'll look like you. And yeah. Our lips will move as our lips move. And yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, so, even the preliminary stuff they've done is pretty impressive. Yeah. Like it's just going to get better in a very short period of time. Have you have your thoughts changed at all since we last talked about this? Like, has what's what? Like, I don't know how to ask the question. How do you feel over the last six months or so with with the new changes with the new technology? Like, has has your has your goals changed? Has your uh, feelings and thoughts about I don't know your company and where it's going changed at all? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of potential to do a lot of things in VR, <laughs> and if anything just the perception of how far you can take things has changed oh, okay. um, because it's become more real. Like all of it's become more feasible. Like when I talked to you last time, some of the stuff was like, well, you know, maybe this or that's going to happen, but now it's happening. And so now just everything has a new reality to it. I think there's good potentials and bad potentials still like, and people will use VR for good and bad, just like the internet. It's going to be no different. How can people use it for bad? Uh, well, I can see a lot of, I don't want to give ideas, but no, I, no, no, right. But I can like see, jump scare I can stuff see a lot of nefarious agencies using it for brainwashing or all kinds of weird things. Right. Right. You know? Huh. Yeah. It's a very powerful medium. So you can, as it gets better, as the experiences get better, um, you can treat mental conditions or you can instigate them. I, I really believe that. So de like developers and anybody doing work in the space has to be consciously aware of that. Because the better it gets, the clearer the dangers and the clearer the benefits are, right? So if anything, that's kind of coming more into my clarity for what the experience can potentially do for people. But there's a lot of good that can come out of it, like a ton, you know, it, just in terms of educating people or giving people positive experiences that change them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Spiritual experiences. For sure. Like, yeah. we think we talked about this last time, but yeah. Terrence McKenna was a big fan of VR, even yeah. in its, like, archaic state yeah, and as this gets better you're getting closer to the conditions that you would really require to give somebody a simulated dmt trip or something like that yeah yeah i can't even fathom how you guys are, are doing this like it's so there's so much to that world and it's so complex already I, I just can't even imagine how a little team of you guys are creating this alternate universe really well there's we have some experienced developers from bigger studios helping us out right now so that's that's a big benefit but i think it's just you have to just throw yourself into the fire and experiment a lot right yeah. 
And then you start understanding what that language is and how best to develop experiences for the medium. Yeah. So, so what's going to happen with, with Hollywood and movies? And is there going to be any interactivity built into that? <clears throat> Hollywood's feeling it out right now. I think there's a lot of um, uh, nervousness in Hollywood about what this has the potential to do because it's very disruptive. It's disruptive in almost every industry. Um, but for Hollywood, it's a big, uh, what are we going to do about this new thing? Um, and, you know, we've had conversations with 20th Century Fox about how they want to try to look into VR and, and use it for different purposes. Um, I think it'll kind of fall into two categories. It'll be um, 360 passive movie watching. So, right, right. you know, you're in the center of the action and it's all just kind of rolling out and you have no influence on it, but you're inside of it which is great in and of itself. It's a really interesting experience, and that's already happening. It's already already being built. Yeah, to be able to float above a battle or to see a battle yeah. happening, you could watch this part of it or this part of it. Or exactly. would be pretty crazy. The problem so is... so used to looking at one screen, right? Because right. like coming out of that experience right now, being able to look up and down and all over the place and see exactly what is in that environment, I could just imagine watching... Like a 4K movie like that or something. Yeah. It would be pretty crazy. Well, being in the center of the Battle of Helm's Deep on Lord of the Rings or something crazy. (laughs) The problem is, and I think Hollywood's becoming keenly aware of this, is that when when you have the ability to look anywhere and be anywhere in a scene, how do you direct attention? Like, we've always had mechanisms for cutting and directing viewers' attention because they're looking at one fixed point. Right. They can't stray away. So it's a huge issue with signing movie content for VR. So what really is happening right now is that a, a new medium is arising where, and this is why they're kind of looking back to game developers. They're like, well, how do we redirect users' attention when you can look anywhere? Because that's been a, a long-standing problem in video games in general. Because in a video game, you can spin all the way around, look anywhere, do anything. It's all about how you're lighting scenes and how you're creating instances where you know, an event happens and it's drawing you to that location and all these visual tools to get you to look here or do this. And it's usually triggered, right? It's a triggered event based on where you are or how you're interacting with a scene. So those kinds of lessons will translate over into a new kind of movie experience where you're interacting in a sort of limited way with an experience that's unfolding so that you're you're kind of triggering the the point of focus wow yeah right? i can see that yeah. so it's something that you're interested in or that you want to see <clears throat> yeah hmm. it, it'll it'll kind of like it it'll take some time to figure out what that language really is and how to how to do it the best way but i think it'll be kind of like a mix between sort of a low level interactive gaming experience and a passive viewing experience something in between huh. how far are we away from from me going to my gym and uh Riding a virtual bike, so physically yeah. riding a bike and being able to travel like all around the next world year. There's VR. already, um, I just saw a Kickstarter. Somebody had a new bike thing that attaches to a regular exercise bike. That's yeah, a yeah. VR experience, and you're pedaling around a world and doing really? things. Yeah, wow. that all that stuff's going to be like kind of the, the no-brainer for fitness right. and exercise. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, next year for sure, though. Hmm. <clears throat> Anything else that you've you've thought of that uh, bef- since we last chatted? Any other changes in the the industry or anything exciting? Um, I think now that people understand that all of this is possible, um, it's kind of already shifted to the next level, which is haptics and how do you make people feel connected to the environment tactilely? Like what 
can we constrain you call, you call that haptics haptics yeah okay. so like an example is if there's a an apple in a scene and i reach out to grab it so we we can track it right now we can track that action happening but can i feel the apple can i feel its size can i push on it does it resist you know does that virtual object give resistance um, so I think everybody's going to kind of keep pushing towards that kind of stuff. And I've seen things where they have like a robotic exoskeleton on the outside of your hand to offer resistance. So you can only go within that constraint, within that limit. Um, I, there's been weird things like... Um, smell? Smell, yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a face mask that this company's doing that delivers scents, different scents that are triggered. Yeah. Um, there's fans built fans, in. Fans, wind, yeah. Heat, cold. Um, how do you, how do you, what are the best triggers to get your whole body engaged in that kind of experience, right? I think you'll see more of that. And, and if there's kind of like a next wave of VR development, I think it'll kind of be based on maybe even haptic suits where you can feel more of the experience, you know? Do you, do you think that's important or do you think so much of it is in your mind anyways? Like if you're fully I, immersed yeah. in there, do you feel like you need to feel those physical sensations? I don't, I don't think in the early days of VR it's super important because I think we've got enough, um, sensory cues happening that yeah. it feels good yeah you know it's a it's a rewarding experience right but i think people are going to push towards it anyways so it's just going to kind of happen <laughs> yeah you know yeah and what about the first person shooters and the and the and the jump scares and stuff like that <clears throat> yeah i still think <laughs> i still think it's grossly irresponsible to create a horror game in vr um is i guess as long as you're you're warning the user that that's what they're getting themselves into and give them ample you know, warning that that's yeah. what they're buying, then I think it's okay. It's it's up to each person to decide what experience they want. But uh, shooters, um, all that stuff is the low-hanging fruit of VR. Like, it's the first thing you do. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that there's a lot of creative, fun things you can do in VR before you go there. Um, like, we, we've got a flare gun in one of our levels that shooting a flare gun is <laughs> incredibly fun in VR, right? I'm not going to deny that shooting isn't fun in VR. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's just what is the what is the psychological consequence of shooting a person in VR, and does that have a different weight to it than just you know looking at a screen and shooting a character? And it does. I can tell you, it does because it feels different. It feels yeah. present. You know. Yeah. It has a different impact on you emotionally and you know in mm. a lot of different ways. Yeah. Well, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of pressure for people to i don't know what pressure is the right word but i i don't get it because i'm not a i'm not a, a video not that honestly i'm not a video game guy and the first per, like i don't it wouldn't turn me on to go into a first person shooter and play that but you just hear so many people are into that that yeah that it's uh well it's gonna happen already for sure. asking about it so it's just, it's like just... sony at gdc they let us play their latest version of morpheus their headset and they've got this uh Joe even played it, and she's a non-violent person. <laughs> I'm surprised she didn't have nightmares after it. <laughs> but yeah, you're you're basically strapped to a chair, and there's this guy interrogating you, right? Okay. And which feels weird because he doesn't look quite real, and it's just a very odd experience. And then the next thing you know, you're in a bank behind a counter, and you're trying frantically trying to load a gun, right? And you're having a shootout with people coming into the thing, and your, your adrenaline is amped up in like no other experience that you've ever had, like a simulated experience mm -hmm. because your brain is starting to fire and make all those connections that it would normally make with a dangerous moment. Right. You know, so you're really amped up. And I personally, I think that if you drive a person through that kind of experience long enough, 
they're they're going to burn out or um, they're going to become numb to what they're experiencing, just the same as soldiers do with post-traumatic stress, right? Mm. Because it's it's locking into all those same cues. So, yeah. It doesn't seem healthy at all. It really doesn't. Well, we'll I, see. We'll yeah. see what it does. Ugh. People are going to do it. I mean, Sony's going to do it. I mean, everybody's going to make those experiences yeah. because that's where you go mentally. You think, oh, shooters are going to be amazing, right? Yeah, but I admire you guys for not going down that route, for going down a more thought-provoking, <laughs> complex, adventurous type route. Well, really. for our first time out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think people are going to also acclimate to what VR is and not be so freaked out by it. Yeah. Um, so I think as people become more sophisticated and in learning it and being inside of it, they'll they'll be more receptive to tipping into those kinds of experiences again. Hmm. It's kind of like when, you know, we developed Pong and it was a super basic and everybody's excited about what this new thing is and then Space Invaders and then, you know, progressing on and on and on until we're playing shooters that are super realistic and violent and we don't think anything of it, right? Yeah. But I think it'll be kind of like that in a way. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. What What's next for you guys in the next few months? Do you have any, obviously, are you going to hit any big shows or anything like that? Conferences? Uh, so packs in seattle is the the biggest thing i think we're kind of focused on for august i think it is so if if somebody wants to play that joe when's uh if somebody wants to play this game the demo can they go to pax and play it (laughs) right that's the idea so yeah hopefully you'll be at the conference and people could actually we're trying to nail down you know a few different stations where people can right right. run through and play yeah yeah because yeah. it's it's leading up to our launch in the fourth quarter, which is right. very very soon. Very very soon. Yeah. Time's going by quick. Yeah. Is there anything that you think we that you want to say that we've forgotten? Uh, no, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you lots for uh, for the demo and all your time today and showing me the studio. It's great. Yeah. Great to finally meet you in person. Th- thanks for playing. Yeah, you're welcome. It was fun putting you in there. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> thanks, buddy. Okay, see you. All right. it's Graham from the Graham America show with Mark Allard and we're driving back from Vancouver and we just thought we should use this digital recorder and record a little podcast because we've been having like hours of fucking unbelievable conversation <laughs> and uh, we wanted to do a little wrap up of of the weekend as well so welcome to the show Mark yeah, thank you Graham my first appearance on the show so I'm stoked yeah, I've been wanting to chat with you for a while. We're buddies in we're from Calgary, and uh, we met uh, at George Norrie's and Friends show this weekend, and Mark uh, was there with his cousin, and I was there with my sister, and we had a pretty interesting time there, and then uh, now we're driving back. Yeah, what about that show, eh? 
was not what I expected. It was good, don't get me wrong, but not what I expected. Yeah. Um, put your mic a li- your mouth a little okay. bit closer. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Yeah. What it? What an amazing. It was like almost like a variety club telephone. It was. Right? It, it reminded me of like a PBS kind of special, <laughs> and you expected like you know a, a row of people on telephones to to you know answer your supernatural questions. So we sang George Norrie's like happy birthday, his 65th birthday. Yes, we sang that. And George Norrie himself sung like four or five like lounge type Elvis, fat Elvis type songs, uh, which, you know, great. Good for him for having the, uh, you know, taking the opportunity to explore a, a new career <laughs> perspective. What did you think about it? So do you think that the cheese that came along with that show is, is like, at, at, is there an awareness of the cheese I, factor and he just doesn't really care? or? Well, you know, that's a, it's an interesting point because when I, I had no idea that it would sort of go in that cheese direction. And, and when he first sort of started with the first lounge song, I thought, what have I gotten into? Like, what's this going to be about? And then... You know, there was just a point very early on where I said, you know what, I'm just going to go with this and I'm just going to appreciate the cheese factor. And then it's it just made the whole thing seem like this really surreal variety show, uh, you know, kind of, a, um, you know, yeah, singing, dancing. I expected someone to come out with a monkey on their shoulder. Yeah. yeah and it started out with like. ACDC's Thunderstruck, yeah, and, then yeah. Yeah, and yeah, there's like a band in the back, yeah, just, just playing sitting jazz there songs. Waiting, waiting for like George's songs, yeah, but otherwise yeah. they were just like, yeah, just, just sitting, sitting there the there. whole time. Yeah, and it, you know, and it was funny, you know, he'd do the songs in between guests, so it was very much like kind of watching a late night TV program, and maybe that's where he's interested in heading. I mean, maybe he is is using this as training ground for some new show format. I think he's using his opportunity. There's an opportunity here for him to be the entertainer that he made it always yeah. wanted to be. Right? I agree. I and, agree. And 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 he's kind of aware of that, and he's just like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna u- like I'm gonna yeah. sing for people. I've got enough of an audience here that's sort of interested in me and the topics that they cover. Yeah. And I'm just gonna sing. Yeah. And and you know what? To be to to be honest, I feel like the uh, everything in regards to the paranormal was second place to him being able to just kind of be a, a, a vaudeville-like singer-star. So? It seemed that way to me, <clears throat> that, that he was enjoying himself more when he could sing a song or do some sort of mock little skit, you know, which he did with, like, you know, the whole Ouija board, them sitting at the table. And yeah. that seemed so much like a skit to me. I was expecting, like, the Osmonds. You know, it was it, it seemed very skit-like, a lot of yeah, for the, sure, the evening. Yeah, for sure. That was, that was definitely planned. But I, but it was interesting how he also put in these little, like who who decided who had the creative control over the whole show because like even before Richard Dolan came out they had some really weird like yeah cartoony alien flying saucer video like five men in a flying saucer yeah. like this and it really went on weird ever and yeah. we're like and just looking at Richard, <laughs> Richard Dolan's reaction too like uh, it's almost like he was just like fucking I'm gonna get a reaction out of these people or yeah. I'm gonna. Just find some really weird shit to play, or like when the guy was talking about the Ice Age, Robert Felix, I think it was. He had that little montage of all the like the the pop culture songs with ice in them. Like, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, cold as ice, and like, yep. no, just for somebody sure. want to put all this stuff together. Yeah, it was interesting, you know, and it, it was probably, you know, I'm sure that ultimately George Norrie has ultimate say on what's approved. 
but I would guess that he's probably has a selection of writers that uh, that tell him make suggestions for how the format should go. You know. Yeah, and, and the producer was there with him as well. Oh yeah. So yeah, he especially you know, I mean, it was a three and a half hour long program as well. So. When you're, you know, unless you're expecting your guests to talk for that amount of time, you're looking for a lot of sort of filler as well. Yeah. So what did you think about the the three guests then? I appreciated that they were all very different. And, um, you know, that first guest, like you had mentioned, uh, you know, who talked about... Um, the upcoming Ice Age? The upcoming Ice Age. Uh, that was a conspiracy theory. You know, or I guess you may may or may not call that a, a conspiracy theory, but it was certainly something that I hadn't been very educated about. Okay. So um, that was neat. I mean, I don't think he. I I didn't find his evidence necessarily very overwhelming, but it was still an interesting thought to consider. Um, in contrast with the next, you know, guest who was talking all about the Ouija board and spirits, like I appreciated the fact that it was. There was a well-roundedness to, to the guests. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I knew Richard Nolan would be amazing. So, so the other two, I was I was willing to sort of go into other directions and see where they would, what they would talk about. Yeah, it, it's interesting hearing about the climate again and um, how it's been over the last couple ten thousand, twelve thousand, twenty thousand years. And really, I I think that any time I hear that put in in that type of context, it kind of makes our our uh, ability to predict what we're doing to the climate or our ability of what the climate's really doing difficult when you when you see all the trends that they take into account you know the absolutely the, the, the ice the you know the heating up after ice ages in between ice ages and the the solar activity and the trends that correlate with that it really puts things into perspective in a way finding out that the planet was warmer than it is now not really too long ago and it's been fucking way colder too many times like mm -hmm. you know okay so as far as the current news is concerned i read this morning that harper made a, a resolution that in the next 85 years they would completely phase out uh, carbon-based emissions um and and some of the responses to that were like oh it's only going to take them 85 years to do that like <laughs> thanks for the goal setting yeah considering that they haven't come through on any of their other goals but you know uh, all things aside, when it comes to um, an upcoming ice age, is there anything we can do? I mean, from his presentation, did you get a sense that there was any way for us to contribute to maybe that not being as severe as it could be? Chemtrails? <laughs> yeah. that that It was interesting how that came up and then kind of was sort of dismissed very quickly. Yeah, not dismissed, not but, dismissed but, as, but put yeah, aside. Put aside. Of, it yeah. was put aside. So you think chemtrails is the uh, in response to a possible ice age? I think uh, chemtrails could possibly be more of a, a geoengineering thing that's going on huh. right now. Whether what some sort of weather modification? I don't think it's part of like the whole conspiracy of it being like. Uh, for our uh, detrimental health, right? I don't mm -hmm. think it's it's supposed to be affecting us uh, negatively, but I do wonder with with global warming being a theme, a meme, being propagated by a number of media outlets and all this, and then we do have something going on up there. Like I've I've been on the fence about chemtrails for a while, mm. but when you look at it 
practically there is something being sprayed in the, in or being let out in the in the air. Yeah. And then if it is if there is something, what is it? And is it contributing to warming or is it contributing to like yeah, something's enough. already going on and what is that contributing to as far as our weather goes, right? Yeah. And I don't know if we should be tampering with with it at that level. Like there's there's been papers in the government for many decades now talking about geoengineering there's been patents there's been it's been accepted that some of that is going on i don't know if that's right i don't know if we should be fucking around with that well you know as we are messing around with that if if i you know if the say in canada or north america if we're geoengineering our environment here then how is that affecting other countries that maybe don't have the technology to geoengineer their immediate environment. So there is something to be said about how, um, you know, how can everybody sort of around the world benefit from, you know, this geoengineering, right? Because it's it's really going to fall into the hands of whoever has the most money is going to be able to control the weather for their purposes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what that, and what kind of effect does that have yeah, anywhere else? You know, yeah. that's yeah. you know, that's a, a valid point that I think people should consider when it comes to this whole geoengineering and harp and and all of these things. Yeah, hmm. that's interesting. The the one uh, maybe disappointing thing I would ha- I would have to say in regards to the George Norrie event was that on the website it it indicated that one of the speakers was going to talk about Bigfoot. And I was really looking forward did it really? to that. It did, yeah. It said that on the website, and that that was one of the selling points for me. I mean, Richard Nolan was the biggest selling point for me. Do- Dolan, Dolan, yeah. Richard Dolan. You see, I don't even get his last name right. Richard Dolan was the the biggest selling point for me. And then I thought, oh, an expert talking about Sasquatches? Yeah, I'm in. Um, and and there was none. So whether that was someone that had backed out or I, I don't know. I don't remember seeing that either. I mean. Sasquatch comes up a little bit on the show here and there too, and uh, funny, I was taking a picture of a big Sasquatch wood sculpture by uh, by Danny Unger's place, who who uh, works for Clouded Games. When I was on oh, the island, yeah, yeah, nice. And then a listener <laughs> sent me a picture of I think it was the same wood sculpture as a lawn ornament. Oh wow! Uh, the same day, it was kind of oh wow. Interesting, yeah. Okay, yes. So you also went to the island, and uh, tell us about that. I'm I'm interested in hearing about your adventure. Really? Yeah. Okay. So I went to Cloudhead Games Studio. They're creating virtual reality, basically from the ground up. This game. Wow. It's pretty crazy. They have, I think, 14 people working for them now. So I did record a little podcast with Danny. So I'll try not to repeat. Nice, yeah. That, but I could maybe get into more details about the experience. Yeah, for you. From a layman's term as well, like on the the game. So they've got it set up with this this headset that's similar to the Oculus Rift, but it's using a different technology. It's uh, called the Vive. Okay. And it's made by HTC and Valve. The gaming company. Yep. And it's uh, you set up lasers in in a in a space, and you can co- you can calibrate your space to a number. So Denny's working on calibrating this space depending on if you're using it in your living room, if mm, you're sitting on the couch, wow. if you're using let's say an average carpet in the middle of your living room, or if it, if you have a full room to use it. So oh you can really? Set those lasers up, and that that's amazing. That, that helps. Um, Tell the lasers like that tells you where you are in the game. So yeah. you, it's 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 basically 
reading where you are in the game so you can walk around. And you have that much virtual, freedom of movement? Yeah. I mean, if you, you walk were. Around, yeah. Really? And okay. you can grab things. I was grabbing shit and throwing it. Nice. And uh, my sister took a little video of it, but they have um, a demo where you're in this crazy room with all this machinery around and there's a big uh, I don't know some rock being there like this big creature there talking to you and wow and then you end up flying up on this elevator and the whole thing it, it's an amazing experience so fully immersive like wow. you're, it's basically like you're right inside a video game so I'm looking down at the floor up at the ceiling around to the walls there's all kinds of things to do I could pick up a candle and burn it they had this mobile in there with like it looks like a a crystal and some other stuff in there, like the like a mobile you would knock yeah. around as a baby or whatever. And I was trying to burn wow. the strings off it to drop a crystal out. Like it's very like it's one of these adventure games where you can try all different things, right? Was it was it so immersible that you lost sight of the fact that you were in a virtual environment? It, it that will happen. It didn't necessarily happen to me because uh, um, I had a you know I had a a cord attaching me and stuff and I was walking around quite a bit so like it, it could happen they I'll explain uh, what Denny says about that a little bit later on sure but I can so that like for example I tapped my hand so so I'm holding this wireless controller yeah and I can use it to grab things so I have a hand and an arm in this virtual environment hmm. and I can grab objects and use them and read them or I had a flashlight at one point looking around like basically like shining a flashlight all around very 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 realistic feel wow so I hit this mobile with my hand and the thing bounced around like it was truly a mobile bouncing around like the wow. physics of it is 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 uh, intensely accurate hmm so Denny was recently in a virtual meeting with a bunch of people. He's on a virtual panel. Okay. So a bunch okay. of people with their headsets yeah. join in the audience. Oh, wow. And he was on stage with a bunch of people answering questions directly. Wow. For about two hours. He said after an hour, he lost all sense of... Wow. Of, real, of physical reality, and he was basically fully immersed in that environment. He was fully immersed in that virtual panel of guests and, and answering questions to a virtual audience. In that setting, did he make any reference to, does the concept of time slow down? Like, does he lose all concept of time once he's in that virtual environment? Even your experience, were you aware of how much time was going by? Yeah, yeah, I don't think, uh, I, don't think I was affected by time as much. I think okay. as time went on, I would be probably. Yeah. Because you, you could imagine um, later on this developing to the point where I could be down by the river, down by the river, <laughs> it, you know, yeah. in my favorite place of nature, yeah. right? Yeah. And I could see time being affected that way yeah. for sure. But I don't think time would be affected in any other way compared to a another experience of meditation or playing another game or anything like that, right? Okay. Yeah, time would fr probably fly by as it would in doing something else, you know. Now we hear a lot of there seems to be a lot of interest lately on like uh, psychedelics and and stuff. Imagine for me what what that experience would have been like had you been, you know, on on mushrooms or something. Wow! Yeah, yeah, it could be pretty pretty, <laughs> pretty intense. intense. Yeah, okay, for sure. I mean, and and Denny is is uh, aware of that possibility and also aware of the possibility of trying to create a DMT type of experience in VR or some wow, sort of really? uh, 
some sort of enlightenment tool or like you know for spiritual growth okay so that's a great segue to say what tell me about the game itself i mean or you know as much as you can without sort of you know getting into anything propriety at well this time, i mean the game but. the game is like an adventure game right okay. so he's trying to stay away from well he is staying away from the the jump scares and the first person shooter kind of crap okay right? yeah not that there's anything wrong with that necessarily and he's not you know totally against it i mean he yeah, just wants just... to be his dream is to to make a fully immersive experience with using an all sensory kind of experience and using your mind and it's kind of like a mist type adventure okay so there's different level. There's going to be four different episodes, I guess, coming out, and uh, they'll have different environments. One will be like in a beach with a foggy lighthouse and caves along the beach and stuff. Lots of stuff you can do in there. And then one will be more like um, in the clouds and in some machinery type stuff. So I'm not too sure about what all those are going to look like, but there'll be characters in the game and there'll be wow, so many things to do. Like when I was in this little room. This sort of machine room kind of thing with all these different. It was like an almost like an old rusty, rusty uh, fort kind of thing. Okay. Or something. Yeah. And the, it, was, it was overwhelming. Like I felt like I could just stay in there and play around forever, just picking stuff up and looking for it. And you know, there's like a candle and a flashlight, and you can turn levers and pull switches and grab things. Like pretty, mm. pretty creative, right? Very wow. creative, yeah. Wow. And, I, and, I, and I threw, like I had a, I can't remember what it was I threw. I had something and I threw it off the off the ledge and it just flew through the air and landed like 20 feet ahead. Like it looked very, it felt very wow. real, the so, act of throwing and watching your thing. Did When you were there, did you get any impression as far as what they're projecting would be, you know, how many years until one of these is in everyone's home? Did they did they even go there as far as those kind of projections? Because I've got to think it's got to be less than 20 years. Technology is happening. The changes are happening way too exponentially because even computers didn't take 20 years. Well, for now and for the first few years, it's what they're developing is going to be strictly on gaming computers, right? So you're okay. going to need a pretty beefy computer to run what, what these guys are doing. But... Um, go- going forward, there's all different sort of um, formats and platforms for the virtual experience. So there'll be there'll be like the cardboard um, eyepiece that you slide your iPhone in and connect via Facebook, for example. Wow! Everybody connects that way. Yeah. Through some virtual way with your mobile phone, mm. and. Um, then there'll be uh, Sony has uh, what they call Morpheus, which is I believe it's like uh, like the Oculus. I think it's something something similar to that. Then there's the Oculus, and I guess Oculus has been bought out by Facebook. So oh really? So that'll be what, is that true? Yeah, I'm trying to remember now. I think didn't Facebook buy Oculus? I think so. I, I I'm for some reason I'm doubting that right now. But anyways. Um, so there's different platforms at different levels, right? So mm. th- their game will be on, be on um, the PC level, kind of probably more of the hardcore gamer type stuff. And then you'll okay. have like people connecting through Facebook and those other ones. And then, and then maybe like a cheaper like PS uh, Sony PlayStation kind of interaction with maybe a, a, a you know a cheaper headset where you can't 
tell where you are in the environment. Like it doesn't sense you in a room. Like you can't walk around, right? Oh, okay. The environment okay. moves around you. Yeah. With with what they well, what they're developing on the on the HTC Vive is that I think it's called Lighthouse technology or something. So those lasers sense where you are, so you can walk around, physically walk around, hmm. and it tells where you are. And you know, I've got to think that if Facebook has has acquired some of this technology or is is pursuing their own, that that that. The, the plan with VR, with virtual reality, goes beyond just gaming. It, it, it's going to extend into other things like search engines and social media. Yeah, tourism, yeah, education. Absolutely. And, and so to be on the ground floor of virtual reality right now, it's got to be very exciting knowing that that's pretty much, I mean, when you think about, okay, what's the next step beyond smartphones? Well, virtual reality seems like like a logical next step. If if you can access all of that without even picking up your phone, yeah, you know, yeah. access all of your contacts, your emails, um, you know, it, it has a very sort of dystopian future, uh, you know, idea attached to it. Um, but I suppose that's perspective, or I mean, it's yeah it, it, it well there's there's another level it's going to go too right and military and, uh, well for sure that as well i wasn't even thinking that, but, <laughs> but yeah but it'll also go to i think it'll be what amusement parks are becoming uh, oh, so so there's yes. a, i heard this on on uh, latest joe rogan episode as well but um and denny and i talked about it a little bit but there's a utah there's a warehouse in utah i guess that's starting up this thing and and it's going to be like a virtual. So I think it'll be the, almost like a virtual laser tag type environment. Wow. So it'll be a physical environment matching the virtual environment. So okay. So part of the challenge with with the technology that I demoed with with Danny and all that is that you're walking around in this place and there's virtual walls and all this kind of stuff, but um, it's there is no physical wall there. So if I put my arm up, right, I'm yeah. going to go through a virtual boundary. They call it the chaperone, which is the layer of that experience okay right? okay but there's no wall there when i'm going uphill actually it's, it's interesting i could walk up these steps up this hill just by walking normally and the and i walk up this thing it very feels very much like i'm walking uphill but i'm not really walking uphill i'm just on that on the ground but what you could do in a big warehouse scenario is actually match that environment so you could have through whatever mechanical means, you could have a physical environment changing to, you know, alleys and tunnels and walls and steps or whatever. And you could have your virtual reality matching that environment exactly. So you could actually be in a game, in virtual game, but actually physically climbing, walking through it. Like you can, so you, could, you can chain all these lasers together so that you're hmm. actually measuring yourself through a whole big warehouse so, or in a completely different world really. yeah like, so so how did that affect your body like your, your respiratory system as you're walking up that hill did you feel winded no okay no it was it okay. was too small but i i would i mean you know you could eventually this that's that's definitely probably i would imagine some sort of upgrade that they will reach where the things that you're doing in this virtual environment will actually begin to affect your bodily systems that's a pretty very transhumanist kind of approach, but I, I imagine that that's where it's headed. Yeah, one of the things I'm looking forward to is, is being able to. Uh, there goes the radar detector. I hope I'm going the right way. I feel like I'm not going the right way for some reason. All this construction. Mm. Okay, so 
what I keep coming back to is like having I want to go on a bike virtual bike like on a on a stationary bike yeah and just pedal through all over the world right yeah be in that environment feeling like you're going up hills like you're going down yeah, hills yeah. but actually being pedaling through France or wherever yeah, yeah. so that's just around the corner that's coming out like next year wow so that'll be a way to, to turn fitness and virtual reality together right but imagine creating an environment like a world physically just just basics like walls and all that right supplementing it with virtual reality so match that physical environment with your virtual reality and you can create basically games online sort of like let's let's just use this as an example like a dungeons and dragons type okay game. yeah danny and i were talking about this um geez i shouldn't even mention it because it's kind of a good idea but <laughs> like multiplayer yeah um, fantasy type games. Yeah, people can so where far. people Wherever can you join design in. Your own, your mm. own avatar. Other people are with you. You're physically walking around an environment, but it's supplemented by a virtual world. So you're actually walking through a medieval world together as different characters, or maybe it's like a spaceship world. Now it seems like virtual reality, as you're presenting it, would be a lot more um, addictive than, say, traditional gaming, which is already extremely addictive so you know did they did, is that something that you spoke with them about is like how how is society going to react to a sort of new generation of junkies <laughs> yeah I think we brushed on that a little bit <laughs> and I don't know because I, I'm I have an addictive personality and I don't I haven't played games for a long time mm-hmm. right? and that's partly the reason why is like I don't have the time to. But spend, you know, right? if you can go into a game and make all of your wildest fantasies come true, essentially uh, to to achieve like the lucid dreaming state with the VR uh, module on your head, like who wouldn't spend all their fucking time in that thing? Yeah, yeah, I think that's going to be an, an issue, but. Um, which will be, I, I, I hope that I have the opportunity to observe that issue come up because I think from a philosophical point of view, it would be fascinating to, to really begin to explore how society is going to react to like, it's not, you know, to, to this group of people that are just kind of checking out and saying, well, I, I'd just rather go live in my VR. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, with my little avatar in my world. So it's yeah. almost like the online community people have been building right now will will soon just become a part of their VR. Well, especially yeah. if social networking is plugged into that, right? Yeah. So you're you're in your little VR world, but you're still checking your Facebook or you're still getting notifications and status updates when Joe goes to get a donut from the fridge or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, because realistically, that is what people do, right? That's that's why we're so plugged into social media, is because we're we're interested in what other people are doing and hoping that what we're doing is making them envious. And so, do you think so? Oh, absolutely. You don't think there's an inherent need for us to socialize, and the technology is just providing that platform it's, for us to actually socialize like we've always wanted to socialize? That. Okay, but I think there's a difference between networking and socializing. I think social media excels as a networking device and uh, sucks the lifeblood out of us if we use it as a social device. Networking means let's help each other outside of the context of a virtual environment. 
or for some greater good than than just uh, my need to validate my own existence. Socialization is is the need to validate each other and encourage each other. And you don't need to log on to a computer for that. You can talk to the person that's standing next to you, regardless of whether you know them, because that's what genuine community is. Why why can't socializing happen uh, healthily through technology? I'm not saying that it can't happen, but, um, you know, let's look at your sort of example about biking through Paris. Okay, I understand if you don't have the money to make that trip, then you can do it a lot cheaper and a lot more time efficiently by VR. But if, if you had the resources to go on that trip, would you forego that trip because you could have the VR experience? If you could choose maybe, either option, well, which maybe, would you choose? Well, of course I would choose the real trip. But So that, that's exactly my but point. The, but the point isn't to do that because I can because I want to go to France it's to do that because I want to get in shape and I need to ride a bike anyways mm. so I might as well do that while learning about other parts of the world or experiencing okay yeah no that's a true fair. a true likeness of another part of the world like absolutely if I had a, if I had my choice I I might choose to ride virtually through France, but in real life, I might want to go to the Himalayas or something. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's very dangerous in anything to, to say that there's an absolute right or wrong in regards to any situation. I think really what it requires is, is honesty. And like, say, your response to my question was a perfect example because that was just very honest. Well, what, what actually is interesting me is getting in shape, and I, I feel like that a good way to do that is to, you know, sure, I get that then. Then don't go to France. You know, you might as well get into shape here, but, like, I hear that. But it takes people being willing to be honest with themselves. And I think we have to approach not only every new technology, but every situation in our life with that very question at the forefront. What what is it that I'm really hoping to get out of this experience? And is this the most effective way to, to, to reach that? So have you have you followed that philosophy in, in your creative work lately at all? Like, how do you apply that honesty to what you're doing creatively? I, I, I absolutely uh, apply radical honesty to my creative endeavors. And that means, um, that means really being honest with myself in regards to um, whether or not... I mean, life will present us with a multitude of options. And it's up to us to, to decide which of those options aren't actually serving our best interest. That doesn't mean that they're bad. And so as somebody who is, is creating these, these projects, there's a lot of ways I could spend my time that maybe only two of those ways are actually going to complement the direction that I want to go with my project. So it becomes, on, it, it becomes required of me to be honest enough with myself to say, okay, that's an option and maybe that would even be pleasurable and and bring me a good experience, but it's really not as much of a priority as this other thing, which maybe isn't as pleasurable, but ultimately in the big picture will bring me the most happiness. How do you find out what that, what that's going to be? Like, what is your practice to figure out what is going to bring you the most happiness or what you really want out of a project? I mean, don't a lot of people start things without absolutely thinking? like for example the podcast i kind of started it without even i kind of kn- knew what we wanted to do like what i wanted to do and and why i wanted to do it but i didn't really have an ultimate 
goal and a path to find to meet that goal in mind. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the path will reveal itself. Um, I, I think that the number one starting place in any any sort of creative endeavor is is to have a, a definite chief aim. And I think people get confused by what that means. A definite what? A definite chief aim. Now that's oh, aim. that's in, in Napoleon Hill wrote a book called The Laws of Success, and that's the first the first thing that he hits upon is is you, you, you need to establish a definite chief aim. Now that doesn't mean that you have your goal all figured out, and it certainly doesn't mean that you have all the steps in place because removing your logic is is the most essential thing in being creative. Um is, is, is to really not be logical about it, but to, to say, like you did when starting the podcast, okay, and maybe I don't necessarily know where I want to go, but I do have a, a chief aim, and it is a podcast. And so the best way to start is to start. Yeah. And, 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 and the destination will reveal itself as long as you're walking the walk. Right. So when you say removing logic, could you say you're connecting the source? Absolutely, absolutely. You're you're taking you're taking your your male dominated analytical mind that that wants to plan every detail, you know, from here until you know you reach your ultimate goal. Well, you have to completely remove that because likely what you think is your ultimate goal is just your what your ego thinks is your ultimate goal, and your ego is simply a very dirty reflection of what your authentic self is. That's kind of what I was getting at before, right? When you were talking about what's going to serve your goal for your creative endeavors, that's what I was Mm. getting at is how do you know that that's not an ego-driven goal or how do you know that's a... Radical honesty. Genuine goal. I, I think you have to honestly be willing to ask yourself questions that will show you that you've been wrong. People don't want to admit that they've been wrong, especially if they've been wrong for a long time. If they've been in a situation right. that they know they need to leave, or or if they've been in in an entrenched in, worldview yeah, where they have it, exactly. they have a lot of things are at, at worldviews uh, and belief systems that have structured their life because change then means that everything changes. Right, and that's scary. And so people avoid asking themselves the real questions, and that's what I mean by radical honesty. And I'll just reference that by saying Robert Blanton wrote a book called Radical Honesty. And, and um, I recommend that book incredibly to anybody who's willing to finally sort of get off their ass and say, what do I need to do to, to really start accomplishing the goals in my life? Hmm. You have to start by being honest with yourself. Because if you're not honest with yourself, you'll never be honest with anyone else. Therefore, every relationship you have, whether it's personal or business, will be frustrating to you. So can you talk about how to do that? Like, it's easy to say, well, no, it's not easy to say, but it's one thing to say, be radically honest. But what does the process look like? Like, how does that, that action take place? Uh, so that, that means when, when, I, when I want something, whether it's um, food or sex, that I ask myself, is this something I want or something I need? And once I establish that, then to say, why do I want it or why do I need it? And once you get that answer, then ultimately it all boils down to you should in your life to be happy. All you need to do is whatever 
you want to do, but never at the expense of someone else or yourself. Or yourself is an important thing to keep in mind. Happiness comes by doing the things that we want, but never at the expense of someone else or ourself. So really, the question that you're, or the answer to the question that you're asking is that everything that you do cannot be at the expense of other people. That is the conclusion of radical honesty. So you have to ask yourself questions. Is this going to bring harm to other people? Is this going to bring harm to other people? That sounds like a, a way to do ethical business. Like Absolutely. Sounds like, that sounds like part of the core problem with people trampling over others to get up the corporate ladder absolutely or, or to you know profit at all it, cost a, kind of absolutely it, it's that whole you know that that patriarchal domination sort of control. you know control factor that is really preventing people from genuinely being happy because if you are trying to dominate other people in order to find happiness then somebody has been dominating you in order to find their happiness so if you choose to play that game, then expect to be dominated by someone else too. It, it, you know, there's very few people at the top that aren't being dominated that are playing that game. So you do you, so you're you're quite a quite a creative person right now. You've written a book. Mm-hmm. I talked about it on the show a while back. It's okay. called Regressions. I remember when I first started the podcast and. And now you've also you've done some music to go along with that book. You're mm-hmm. writing a, a record, and and um, I guess you're following up with some other multimedia things. Yeah. You want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, sure. Okay. So really briefly, um, so over the last year, I've been working on a record which could be considered like part two. So the, the of of regressions. Um, now that record, uh, starting in August, we'll be releasing the first single. And on our website, uh, which is thenewyoung.com, um, on our website, we'll be releasing uh, a video for that single, as well as the first chapter of a new novel. And every month following August of 2015, we'll be releasing one single, one video, one chapter of the new novel. And the new novel will be online for free um, until the novel has been completed, and then it will be released as a published book. Wow, wow. Yeah. Do you expect? How, how are you fi- finance this? Like, will it? I've been financing it myself. Right. You know, uh, I've been really fortunate. Uh, you know, just having a background in 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 music uh, to 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 be connected with some amazing musicians who have been involved in this project um, for definitely. Uh, you know, rates much lower than 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 certainly that they deserve. Um, but it was their eagerness to be involved and them sort of knowing that I was financing everything myself. I mean, I literally had people that that were just so eager to be involved. They said, "Whatever I can do, wow. however I can be involved." Wow, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's been a really ambitious project, and by the time, like I say, the first video will come out uh, in August. It, it would that it will have been um, it will have been a year since the project started that it took to organize all of this because you know there's 13 songs on the record that's 13 music videos so you know that it, it takes a lot to to bring all that together um, and that said I mean there's a lot of people involved to make that happen as well it's not just me sitting there directing everything and saying 
telling people what they need to do. It's it, when it came to the music, it would be me just saying to these artists, do whatever you want, add whatever you want. I'm not going to tell you what to do because I never would have worked with you if I had any interest in controlling what your performance would be. Wow. So once these 12 or 13 uh, videos slash chapters are released, you're going to put it all together in a book then, in a book format yeah, absolutely. as well? Yeah, absolutely. So so when the 13 um, songs will are flushed through, which will be uh, September of 2016, then uh, the record uh, will come out on vinyl as well as digital and everything. Uh, the songs will be all be digital at every month because we'll be releasing them as singles online through various uh, online media um, but a hard copy of the actual vinyl record will come out uh, in the fall of 2016 along with the new novel in a hard copy form and all the videos on a DVD so it's it's really uh, quite a multimedia that's, package that's pretty cool yeah, yeah. How, long, how long has it been since you wanted to do that I mean I've only known you for about three years and mm-hmm. I think you've written that book and done all this within that time frame so yeah. is it something you've been working towards for a while or did you just you know what it really has when I wrote the first novel which is actually I, I just I started writing that novel the year that we met, actually, probably within a couple months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first novel in 2012. And, um, and from the start of writing that novel, I knew that I wanted to follow up the novel with the record. But between the first novel and the start of this project was about a year and a half of, of really trying to get myself to the point where I could devote my attention to this project because I knew that going into something this ambitious I would need to be able to um, remove a lot of things in my life that were preventing me from being able to concentrate and focus Wow! because it, it, it has taken uh, you know you know I've, I've a year-long calendar on my wall with notes on it you know, every day in the last six months. So it, it has been an ongoing daily effort. And I think when people have ambitions and goals, a lot of times the reason why people don't achieve those goals is because they're not willing to, to put the time in or, or they've underestimated how much time is actually involved in completing a project. So it's important to, to, it's important to start setting goals with, uh, you know, goals you can actually achieve so that you don't establish a, a pattern of failure. Hmm. Have you, we, we've had so many conversations before we started recording here. It was just, mm. you know, mm-hmm. for a few hours they're driving from Vancouver. Is there anything in those conversations that you, you feel like we left out or that you want to expand on? Um, happiness is honesty. You know, I mean, I know we've already mentioned that, but I feel like everything that we spoke about since leaving Vancouver can really just be summed up by saying the more honest you are with yourself, the happier you're going to be. And with others as well. Obviously, honesty as a whole. Absolutely. But we I think we need to take our focus away from honesty to other people we will automatically naturally be honest with others if we're honest with ourselves and the reason I bring this up is because too often we get fixated on the idea of being honest with other people and we really just use that as an excuse to say I think you're a bitch you know we use that as our excuse to tell people the things we don't like about them which is ego driven 
we won't do that if we're honest with ourselves first. So it's important to start with internal honesty before we even consider um, m- making the effort to be honest with others. And that makes a difference in a lot of ways. I can't really articulate them, but I know for myself, especially last few years of my life, after becoming honest and realizing that, I would have never been able to put this out there Hmm. in the world before, a podcast or anything like that. I would have never been able to... I think there's a comfort level, and that's probably where the happiness comes from. Absolutely. A comfort level with kind of not giving shit like I still care what people think to a certain extent but I don't really like before I was worried about uh, all these circles coming together and all these things I was ashamed of or or uh, guilty of oh absolutely and and now I feel like after letting that go and just becoming honest that has brought a comfort level which brings a contentment totally and a a happiness and and that internal honesty it, it, it really does begin to erode things like guilt and worry because suddenly all the outcomes that we that we set as a result of lies you know lies to ourselves. Every time we set an outcome uh, on a situation or an expectation on other yeah. people, yeah. those are all based on lies that we've told ourselves, stories we've told ourselves about other people. So if, if we just avoid setting those expectations, we won't have the disappointment. We won't have the worry that comes with having set that expectation. Oh, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? We can fucking bypass all of that simply by being honest with ourselves and really saying, well, what are my intentions and what do I really want? And is this actually possible? Because if, if, you're, if you're honest enough with yourself to critique, say, like a, a, a possible business relationship or personal relationship, then if you're honest with yourself, you can say, oh, you know what? I'm not even going to pursue that. You, you'll know right away if you're willing enough to be honest with yourself on what your intentions are. And by avoiding that situation, you won't have any worry as to what the outcome will be because you haven't even set an outcome. You're free of it. That's all what what we really want is freedom. Yeah, expectations are like resentments under construction. Absolutely. I like that. It is. They are, you know. Wow. Yeah. So so you know about my podcast and, Mm -hmm. and Darren and I doing this podcast and You've contributed to some guest ideas for me and mm-hmm. some good questions and all that. And you, you, you seem like to me like you're this wealth of knowledge. You put this practice into place, right? Right now you've been, you've been learning something. You've had a goal not only with your creative daily goals, but you're also learning things daily. You have daily practice that help you, mm-hmm. you know, um, expand your knowledge and awareness. So what were some of the, what would some of the topics be that you, you think we should explore? Some of the stuff that you think we'd be interested in at a deep, like going to a deeper level? I, I think the, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is this, there seems to be a, a, a renewed interest on consciousness and the undeveloped knowledge that we have of the way the brain works. And so things like brain mapping are fascinating to me, especially in how that ties so intimately with transhumanism. Because clearly, uh, if we're able to map the brain, then we're able to construct a computer based off of those sort of blueprints. Yeah, yeah. So are you saying a renewed interest culturally or for in yourself? There seems to be both, actually. Because even, um, you know, 
recently, about six weeks ago, we were at the Disclosure Canada, yeah. and um, uh, one of the one of the guests, uh, his name will pop into my head in about a minute here. Um, he is he his approach to the whole disclosure UFO idea has also been to begin to explore the consciousness. Uh, consciousness, mass consciousness, and how people are relating to a UFO experience and how that might actually uh, either encourage or repel any form of disclosure. Um, and when, when people start looking at like depth psychology, uh, it, it's, it's quite fascinating to consider things like um, extraterrestrial life form and cross-reference that with sort of any sort of Jungian principles of archetypes. Uh-huh. And, you, you know, it's just like a, a big rabbit hole that you could sort of endlessly find new areas to explore. And you're also interested in NLP quite a bit, right? Yes. So how do, yeah. where does that play into it? And NLP is neuro-linguistic Neuro-linguistic programming, right? programming yeah, which, which often gets a bad rap because people assume that that means you're, you're, trying, to, yeah, you're yeah. trying to hypnotize people against their will. Right. That tends to be most people's reaction to NLP. Um, I got involved with NLP as sort of a next step after, because I'm a, a psychosomatic therapist. Well, I have been in one of my former incarnations in this life. Uh, in so, this life, or in this life? life, in this life, okay. yes. Yeah, so, so for me, I, I, you know, I've, I look for new opportunities to understand more things about why I am the way I am. If I was to write a book, uh, it would, you know, a, an opus book at the end of my career. It's probably going to be called "Why I Am the Way I Am," and it's just going to be a collection of things like NLP because I've learned a tremendous amount about. Uh, linguistics so hence that neuro-linguistic programming is the the linguistic aspect is how much the things that we say reveal about who we are and about the future that we end up manifesting and say in voice or thought uh, or both well, for nlp uh, specifically in voice because what I'm looking for, say, when I'm talking to you, is the structure of sentences that you you use tell me where you want the conversation to go, for wow. instance. that sounds pretty right? challenging to uh, me. It, it, it can be challenging um, if you don't have a frame of reference for, for that idea. You know, I mean, any new information needs a corresponding brain cell to attach to, and that's how we build neural bridges. So neuro-linguistic programming is... is is really sort of an advanced course in how to retrain your brain to think differently. Wow. Mm-hmm. So people that have had um, uh, epigenetic uh, challenges, like challenges that have been, you know, environmentally caused, their environment, their upbringing. Mm, um, sure, even post-traumatic. Trauma, yeah. trauma can, can actually let's say heal for lack of a better word from retraining their brain absolutely and and you know this is this is a sort of a really a, a point where a, a lot of different schools of thought uh, reimagine the same process because what could for one person be a very spiritual experience is essentially just an a, a psychological archetype for a, a series of steps that need to be taking place at your subconscious level and you can personify that 
as a spiritual experience in, in any form, or you can personify that uh, in the people around you, or you can just do the work yourself, which I would say is more in line to what NLP and psychosomatic therapy is about. It's learning how your body functions, so you don't actually have to go and find your external answers in, in the personification of that ideal. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty deep. <laughs> it is. Wow, I just said that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we're recording this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'll write it down yeah. later. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send it to you. Nice. Have you, have you ever thought about, we talked about the global financial thing and all mm, that. And, yes, and, uh, uh, Paul Hellyer. <laughs> yeah, the, the simple solution from yeah. Paul. But, but it also, have you ever thought about these cultures that... Um, the kind of the community away from technology, kind of the self-sufficient community idea. I think there's some people out there. Like there's a lot of this going on now. Mm-hmm. Where they're gonna, whether it's they do an island or they build an island or a ship or whatever the, whatever they're doing. Kind of like the, it's almost like a commune, but that has a negative connotation. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But does that ever attract you? Like to absolutely. Just, just like just get out of the matrix and absolutely belong to it a, does a community where you don't have to rely on anybody else but your own yourself. A- absolutely. I mean, I. Well, okay, I want to rely on other people, but I want to rely on a community of like-minded people as opposed to a community of people who are trying to control me. Um, So, yes, to to go into, uh, you know, to live amongst a group of people. And I actually have spent uh, many, many, probably what amounts to many years over, over the last 20 living in those communal type environments. Um, And maybe not always enjoyed my experience or fully enjoyed it, but um, have definitely learned some intrinsic value to what it means to be human and to live uh, with other people who are also uh, trying to grow and trying to become uh, more awakened spiritual creatures. And what do you find of, of the productivity of those communities? Like, do you, like we were talking earlier about whether we thought people were naturally lazy or, mm. or, or naturally wanting yeah. to be productive. And you find in a community like that where there aren't those manipulations and controls that people are generally productive? I, I wouldn't necessarily say that in those communities those manipulations don't exist. Right. I think that in, in any community there are going to be people who... Uh, for whatever reason, are more inclined to uh, try to exert control over other people. And that seems to be, no matter what kind of community I've been involved in, that there seems to always be certain archetypal figures, again, with this idea of archetypes. Um, I don't think that people are inherently lazy. I think that people don't know what they want, and because they don't know what they want they end up embracing laziness to kind of comfort themselves through the experience of life. And like you said before, not only do they not know what they want, but maybe they don't think they can get Absolutely. to where they want to get to, right? Society does not, you know, I mean, I grew up hearing and I audibly was told things like when you grow up, you can be anything that you want to be. And then somewhere around the teenage years and and certainly into the 20s, it's like, well, they fucking lied. There's no way I could be president. I mean, you begin to look at other factors like where I grew up and, you know, where my family came from. And you just see favoritism and you begin to question all of that. 
but through the whole process of <laughs> And we're back. We're back with yes. Graham and Mark on the road trip. Almost, uh, almost in the Rockies now. Yes. And we, uh, we just realized that the, what was it? The card was empty. Yes, the uh, the card. Or no, the card was full. The card, yes, <laughs> the card was empty, so we couldn't go on. The card was full, and we had to uh, review. Uh, actually, Graham reviewed and uh, and deleted some uh, some stuff, so yeah, that we, we made could, and we made space. We yeah. made space, so we can just finish off this chat properly. I didn't want to just leave it at some like no, yeah, because we sure. went we went on for about I don't know, probably five or ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, before but, yeah, not the, knowing. <laughs> Not knowing, yeah. So uh, there was there was a. I remember making the statement, "If I were president." Yes, that um, was very close to the end <laughs> yeah, of the recording. Yeah. So I think that conversation started by uh, questioning whether people are inherently lazy or not. Yeah, and I think I piped in and talked about epigenetics epigene- mm-hmm. a little bit, right? Yes, and you I, did. Yeah. How much that would play, like people's environment, and maybe whether they're conducive or not to to that environmental pressure or the stress or trauma. Oh, sure. And whether that impacts people's laziness and then... Yeah. I, I, you know, I think when we're talking about things like the inherent laziness of individuals, which for the record, I, I do not think people are inherently lazy, but I think people are lacking purpose and they have no idea how to find that purpose and they mistrust... The, the old saying that we can grow up and be whatever we want to be. So laziness is maybe more just a byproduct of uh, lack of purpose and lack of any sort of reliable, discernible way of discovering what purpose may be for, for the large majority. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And probably the feeling that, that in, especially right now where we live, I mean, it's not the same in in, uh, in other countries, I don't think, mm-hmm. but yeah. where we live, the whole job market, the whole career thing is shifting so drastically. Oh, we totally. Techno- technological changes that are unbelievable. I mean, I just I just uh, heard Joe Rogan's podcast and a guy who's who's making money off of Twitch, which is uh, like an interactive, sort of like s- interactive Skype in a way, like. So, mm. the, so Twitch. Have you heard of Twitch? Before? No, I haven't. No. This kind of does get into what we're talking about, and I wanted to talk about it nice. with you off air, anyways. But, but um, people make money now off of streaming their gaming online, right? So ah. they're playing video games. People are watching Paying them, to watch, donating, and and actually chatting. So there's a community of chatters in there. And you're watching it, so you're interacting with a live entertainment, right? Oh wow! And interesting. And this guy has created a whole, a whole like uh, I don't know if studio is the right word, a studio with, with uh, you know obviously HD cams and gaming computers, and then he's also got a podcast booth and a bar and a lounge, and I'll have events there, and then there's some traditional entertainment stuff like maybe pool tables and shit like that. Mm. And anyways, a lot of it's broadcast and, and it's basically a venue or a platform for making money online, streaming <laughs> games and stuff like that. Wow. So we have this whole new people like that that are just sort of pushing the boundaries as far as like, let's, you know, implement as much technological 
shit as we can in that way. Well, and and then and then uh, some of it's making revenues. And I'm sure they do also production type stuff. They do mm-hmm. producing various things. I mean, I I have a, a sort of a mixed mixed reaction to that. Uh, good for him for being able to figure out a way to make money doing something that he loves. And on the other side of it is I got to wonder who these people are who are paying to to have a social life with somebody that's playing a game that they're sitting at home by themselves living in their mom's basement watching somebody else's wonderful life. Well, I don't think you can generalize it like that. I mean, <laughs> probably, look, look here, I don't not. I don't watch TV, right, anymore, really. I can I can't handle the mainstream shows for the most part. I mean, I'll watch I'll watch uh Netflix and I'll watch stuff like that. Like yeah, H- yeah. HBO and the, some some of the more hardcore shows that are well done, oh, but yeah, but sure. you know, yeah. but it's kind of like at my leisure and on demand, but I could see how especially the way video games are now and there's big tournaments and stuff like that. So world world championships going no, on all absolutely. over the place. You'd be like watching so, Yes. Yeah, exactly. Except you can interact with totally. them, right? So I get that part. So we're oh, yeah. So I mean, I can understand the attraction. Um but I don't think that people some people when they're younger would see that as a career. Like the guy that I mm. heard on, on Joe Rogan's podcast was a professional gamer. Wow. And he basically I think he always wanted to be a professional gamer and he just practiced and practiced. That's and awesome. Yeah, Good for he's him. He's out there, he's sponsored by all kinds of companies. Nice. Winning tournaments and it's a team game, so it's very team oriented. They have to practice and do all kinds of stuff that normal team yep. sports would yep. have to do. Yeah, for sure. But I think he manifested that with his desire to do that. But I don't think it's as obvious with new there's such a new job market out there now mm-hmm. in, in where we live. And it's going to be a growing one because I imagine in the next 20 to 50 years, you will have gamers that are being paid what we're paying right now for hockey players. Yeah. It really wouldn't surprise me, especially if people are tuning in and that's making money for, you know, uh, say you, you know, this individual started his own channel. But I could, have, I could see a network picking up on something like that and saying, okay, here's the Halo competitions and the best Halo players from around the world, and you can watch this play out on your screen. Yeah. I can totally see people subscribing to that in the same way that they would a major sporting event. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how the mainstream handles that yeah. in the future. But, I mean, no longer are the good sort of jobs, like the, like the factory jobs, Absolutely. the jobs where you can afford to... Worked there for three decades yeah, and, and, and buy a house and raise a family. Like it's yeah. just not the same anymore. It's not right? even there's, a reality anymore. There's, no. there's some obviously like that. But. You know, interesting. To, to, with that is, I was talking to someone while we were in Vancouver who's working for uh, Transit uh, for Vancouver Transit, and apparently every Transit employee is now on split shifts. Does not matter if you have 35 years seniority. Everything has turned to split shifts. What, what, what do you mean by split shifts? Uh, you go to work for three hours in the morning, go home for five hours, go back to work for three hours. Because wow. it's more cost effective for the company. Yeah. Now, of course, that's simply a prelude to transit being entirely automated, as is every job that we humans have, is simply a prelude to the fact that you'll go to Walmart in 50 years and there will be no people there. It will all be robots. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's where we're going, folks. So, so it, it also makes sense in a way. Like, how can a company like Transit, which 
which would be interesting if that was government run because it's not. I don't think it's government. No, not run. anymore. Not, not anymore. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how they could do that because it just doesn't make logical sense that he works from let's say, you know, eight to five in the morning or whatever when there's a huge gap of the. You have to fluctuate with the demand, right? Well, and people traveling on transit. Somehow, yeah. Somehow, it, it makes more economic sense for the company to have everybody go on to this split shift format than it does to keep anybody doing a straight eight-hour day. Hmm. Probably because they're not, uh, you know, paying for lunches. You eradicate lunch breaks and coffee breaks. If people are only working a three- or four-hour shift, you know, I mean, I'm not precise on all the laws, but that could be a factor on all the workplace laws. Definitely, yeah. So So I have a sort of a transity type of example. Is uh, My sister and I flew on... um, a float plane to the island this nice, weekend. Nice, And normally, you know, I mean, I, I'd take the ferry or whatever. And when you, But when you really look at the cost and the time, mm. the ferry is uh, 100 and something, 120 bucks for her and I to drive over, let's say. Yeah. I'm not sure now. These numbers are all like approximate, right? Yeah. And uh, so 240 in total. Mm. And it'd probably take us seven, eight hours in, in total. Like yeah, travel time. Yeah, travel and wait at the ferry and yeah, all maybe that. even more than that. Mm. And the the float plane was uh, I thought we could get it for seventy. I think it cost us eighty more than more than that. So eighty eighty bucks. But how say, much time did nine, you save? Like like six hours. See, there you and go. It was, so it was like yeah. an extra forty dollars or something like yeah, that yeah. each. Let's say. Yeah. And and the savings almost you're saving almost a day. Yeah, of travel. absolutely worth but it. But that's the diff- That could be the difference between ferries still being government run as well, right? Mm-hmm. And, yes. And, uh, and you know, I mean, that reminds me of you know WestJet coming on the scene and oh. suddenly Greyhound going, but but you're taking our customers. Well, instead of you know a ten hour trip, I want to get there in an hour. So, yeah. Yeah. and and it, it, cost wise, at least you know when when certainly when WestJet was starting. You know, when they're actually economical yeah, to fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, but still, I mean, even at today's prices, if you still compare the time that it would take you to take the bus, you have to put a value on your time. Honestly, that's what it comes down to. You have to put a value on your time, and if and if and if you want the ten-hour Greyhound experience, great, go for it. Yeah. But you know, if you want to sort of reach your destination in an hour and a half and have seven hours of of Whatever free time, do, yeah. yeah, then. You know, you make the choice that best suits where you're at. Yeah. So. So I wanted to ask you a couple of questions because just getting to chat with you for a few hours this morning before we even started recording or whatever, mm-hmm. and, and you're, you know, you're pretty articulate and, and what, and you've been studying a lot on your own. You're, you're, you're sort of always expanding your knowledge base. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend? Like, how could I become more articulate, uh, especially for podcasting you know, readers are leaders, and the more books that you expose yourself to, the more uh, different opinions that you expose yourself to. I mean, when I go into a bookstore, I rarely go into a bookstore with an author in mind. I usually just go in and let books find me. And and I have I have areas of interest. And I will always go to those sections, but beyond those genres that I enjoy, let's say, for, for sure, the uh, psychology, the occult, um, you know, anything esoteric, like I'm drawn to those areas and I will explore within those areas. Um, 
But I think even more specifically to your question is you can buy a book that's dedicated to one subject or you can buy a book that takes one subject and compares it to other things. For instance, this weekend I bought a book that uh, is that compares uh, Greek gods with psychology and astrology. So if you really want to expand your knowledge base, start reading comparative books that are written to compare different systems of thought. And that's when you'll really begin to think outside of one specific box. What, what about taking that in by audio instead? Oh, absolutely. Audio, audio so absolutely. Do you, do you find that you'll retain more by reading instead yeah, of you, listening? Yeah, you will retain more by reading. You think so? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, you know, there's different, there's different stages to all of this. And in fact, I mean, I can say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But going back to neurolinguistic programming, NLP, everybody is different. Some people are more auditory which means they will retain more information if they hear it, not reading it. Some yeah, people are more, or, yeah, and know. some people are more optically. And the thing is you can tell based on the words that people use. So, for instance, if we're having a conversation and I'm like, oh, Graham, yesterday I was listening to the rain and I heard these really wonderful sounds. Um, you know, my ears were melting, right? I'm using language that talks about hearing. And audible and that's how you can tell what kind of what uh, what sense is the more sense dominant in in a person oh wow right I see things my point of view I see it this way that's very optical yeah right huh. a whole different way of speaking than I heard hmm. so people will just by virtue of talking without even thinking about it they will let you know what kind of person they are if oh, you listen to them wow. yeah so what about the your memorizing? Uh, we talked earlier about you were memorizing some lessons. Yes, and I kind yeah. of was intrigued and, and questioned you because I can see how that would sub like because when I read something, even no matter how profound it is, mm-hmm. I go back and read it again months later or years later or even days later, and and it feels like I've missed Absolutely. most of it. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not retaining that much through reading. Like I think the stats say it's like ridiculously low percentage of retention, yeah, but absolutely. Um, I could see how memorizing something, especially something like spiritual principles, like profound mm-hmm. ones we were talking about yeah. would help incorporate that into your absolutely. articulation. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, in regards to memory work, memory work is happening on a, on a subconscious level. Because in order to memorize something, you have to essentially replace the things that your mind is already thinking about. So you have to be able to focus and concentrate. And so you're replacing your subconscious mental tendencies when you memorize something. Whereas when we just take in information through our senses, that is a conscious thing that is happening, right? We're hearing, we're listening, and and for us to relate to that information, we have to consciously access what 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 did I hear? What did I see? Uh, what did I read? Our subconscious does not ask that question. Hmm. So, in a in a battle between um, the conscious and the subconscious, the subconscious will always win. So, memorization, especially memorizing uh, things, uh, say affirmations or or natural laws or hermetic occult 
esoteric principles, those will begin to redefine your subconscious belief systems. And that is really at the heart of true change. Wow. So it's not only about articulating, but it's really about manifesting. Oh, absolutely. So it, it comes back to like what you focus on, you become or totally. like the laws of attraction start to come absolutely. The, the articulation is, is a default of the fact that you have now completely replaced those old belief systems with these new principles. And those principles just roll off your tongue as if as you know, you're not thinking, oh, what was that thing I read? You're just saying it because it's something that you've committed to memory and it has substituted those former systems of belief. Wow, wow, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, it really is, you know. It's uh, inspiring too, right? Because absolutely. You can, you, it's tangible. You can, you can see the change. You can you feel can, the change, right? Absolutely. And when you begin to apply those changes to areas in your life that you want to excel in, whether that be business or painting or some sort of creative podcasting, in, podcasting right? It's the same principle because if you're holding, when you're memorizing, you're holding those those phrases in mind. You're concentrating on them. And therefore, you begin to manifest it because it's taking over, it's reestablishing your belief system. So the same way, like with a podcast, if it's something that you're thinking about all the time, then however you're thinking about it, whether it be positive or negative, is what is eventually going to manifest. That's interesting, too. That's really It's the same yeah. principle. Yeah. You know, it, it really is. And, and that's really the key to the master key to this law of attraction, you know, that people so often get wrong because they're, they think it's like fast food and it's yeah. really not. Yeah. You know, it takes work to reprogram yourself. That's how you attract things is by replacing, by building new neural bridges to the things that you actually want in life instead of focusing on all the things that are shitty that you don't want. Yeah, like one of the quotes you said was, uh, thought, spiritual, spiritual, thoughts are spiritual, and therefore thus creative. therefore creative. And, and will correlate with their object and bring them into manifestation. Yeah, yeah. So the things that you think about are spiritual. In other words, spirituality is thought. And thought is creative, and it will automatically create whatever it is that you're thinking about. So you can be thinking, or it attaches itself. To yeah, it exactly. Right you know, I mean, say you're, say you, you know, someone that's in the hospital. Well, thinking about them is the equivalent of praying about them. And if you're thinking, oh shit, I hope they don't die. I hope they don't die. That's not as effective as visualizing them as a healthy individual. Yeah visualizing them walking out of the hospital yeah and there you have the scientific version of prayer hmm interesting i feel like there should be like a drum roll now yeah, yeah you know yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say something else about that see and i've already slipped my mind yeah it was about the memorization and hmm. the, oh darren darren at the beginning of our podcast when we first started it kind of he went through this memorizing um he taught himself how to memorize things in a different way. And mm -hmm. so he was doing, you know, a whole bunch of different things, like memorize like 30 words or something like yeah. that, right? And how you actually put them all together in this visualization. And you can do it fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. And then that just will really stick with you. So he still, I think he still practices that, but we haven't talked it on, about it on the show a lot. Oh, you should. But uh, yeah, it, it's interesting to me. I've never really correlated memorization with spiritual principles like law mm -hmm. like law of attraction or like uh, manifesting what you want or even just self-improvement or anything like that like how memorizing can help yeah well 
you know, the, the, the great thing about the way our minds are designed is that we do not have to laboriously shovel out negative thoughts. All we have to do is replace them with positive thoughts. Yeah. So it's not like we have to spend hours and hours of trying to rid ourselves. We just have to find a thought that's going to be more powerful and more enticing for us to think about. Um, society or mass media has discovered that fear is a very strong way of occupying people's thoughts. And it is. It is a very strong way of occupying people's thoughts. But ideally, to, to really excel as a human being, we want to find something really positive that will drown out the fear. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, definitely uh, a major step on the path to enlightenment for anybody, is being able, to, being able to eliminate thoughts of fear that arise in your mind and replace them with, with love, thoughts of really. love. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Speaking of the mass media, we, mm. talk, we talked about this a little bit, but because you don't have a, and I don't have it either, a daily ingest of radio and mm-hmm. news media, do you feel like, you, you don't feel like you miss, you're missing anything out on that? You know, I, I don't. Um, and I'll tell you the biggest reason why I don't is that it, it would seem to me that it's very hard to know no matter where your news is coming from, it's very hard to know whether or not that's actually true or not. Um, it's easy to pick on the internet and say that you know half the sites that you read uh, aren't even true, um, but yet, even within the uh, you know established or recognized media, we're so full of misdirection that it's it's pretty impossible to actually know what the truth is. And therefore I would be devoting an enormous amount of energy towards really fictitious stories that are being created to distract me from doing anything that's actually important in life. Right. That's kind of how I view it. So, so I I don't feel like I'm missing out, you know, because, because whatever happened to the Malaysian airline is not ever going to actually be told to us, at least for not another 80 years. <laughs> yeah. You know? And by that time, no one will care. As we know from, from uh, you know, uh, it was about two years ago that I read that the family of Martin Luther King Jr. won a civil suit against the government of the United States, that the government was actually responsible for his death. And you think you'll ever hear about it? Like, well, I mean, I heard about yeah, it, but the but, mass but majority of people, no, no. they'll never hear. And, and, and it's out there, but they just don't care because it's like, you know, it didn't happen within the last year. And they've had yeah, enough, oh, what you're saying. enough yeah. new things to concentrate on. Yeah. And, and so even like McUltra and all of these yeah. CIA yeah. experiments, yeah. I mean, it's like people, we just go... We even look back at Nixon in Vietnam, and we go, "Oh yeah, whatever." I mean, yeah. that, things things were bad once upon a time, and, and you know the banana republics; those happened. But that you know, the corporations. Gulf of was a, oh, oh yeah, it was a false yeah, flag. Yeah, but yeah, but that all, doesn't all it, oh, those things don't happen anymore because we have accountability now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, we do, and that's why you know FIFA was only just exposed after like twenty years of it being fairly common knowledge that that organization was corrupt. Right. Right. So, but huh. you know, we don't, we don't, we don't, 
we don't want to have you know anything mess with our enjoying soccer so let's not actually pursue corruption <laughs> you know I, I i i look forward to that so I don't don't mess with that so let's get back to what we were going to uh, have on the show because yes, yes. we talked about ideas for like what you would like mm-hmm. to hear like or ideas you had for us on the show and then you started asking me when we weren't recording about uh talking about the occult and, mm-hmm. and uh the cabal and stuff like that, and that's yes. that's kind of stuff that I would like to explore a little I, bit. Yeah, I would I would love it if you guys, uh, you know, on on Gramerica, uh, explored the occult more and the occult origins, like the the pre Reformation occult, which would have been like Hermetics versus you know the 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 whole even the whole Reformation, the alchemical Reformation that was going on in the 1600s with Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth I and John Dee, and how that all led to the development of Freemasonry and the, you know, uh, Golden Dawn, etc. And yeah, I think it would be fascinating to explore because so many of the things that are coming out of the occult are things that are being redefined today as the New Age. Right, right. And, and that's where I, I think a lot of people would really find some benefit in realizing that these concepts that they're reading about are have actually been around for hundreds if not thousands of years and they've often been shrouded in secrecy out of necessity because of persecution against organized bodies that didn't want people to actually feel self-empowered that we have an actual say in, in how yeah. our lives or, or, or what we can do with what our we lives. Can do, kind of? What we can do without having uh, a middleman between us and whatever divine source or power is actually controlling uh, our ability to transcend just mundane normalcy. So when you say Reformation, what can you expand on that a little bit? So when um, so a just brief history lesson. Elizabeth I, um, a daughter of... Uh, of Henry Tudor from the TV show. Um, Elizabeth I, her reign when she actually got on the throne was kind of known as, you know, the the whole glorious Elizabethan era, which is kind of what the whole King Arthur uh, archetype mythology is based around. And one of her tutors, when one of her instructors when she was growing up, was John Dee, who was typically known as the Merlin character in all of this King Arthur legend stuff. Um, And so John Dee and Elizabeth were were among many European nobles at that time who were interested in creating what they referred to, or what we at least refer to as an alchemical revolution or alchemical reformation, uh, which would be a departure from, you know, Rome and the the Catholic Church's view that that man must depend on them in order to transcend their humanity, and so the whole idea of a of a alchemical reformation was to really get people back to uh, the sense and and the knowledge that they had within them, the the portal that would open them up to having a God experience. Wow, interesting. Which, which has been suppressed 
ever since the oh totally Egyptian mystery schools <laughs> or whatever yeah. or, or oh yeah because when when Constantine essentially when he squashed out uh, you know the 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 Roman and the Greek pantheons in favor of 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 a one god. He also went out of his way to destroy all the mystery schools, which still survived in different forms for the next, you know, the next four or five hundred years, um, and had a brief resurrection with uh, the Emperor Julius, who was mysteriously killed in battle and is rumored to have been killed by the Christians within the army. So, because he was actually trying to reestablish almost a pagan uh, association with spirituality huh. um, after Constantine, so he was not looked upon very favorably amongst uh, you know the devout, and certainly not the Vatican. <laughs> so, how would we go about like narrowing that down a little bit? Like, do you have any authors you would recommend, or books, or or like, you know what I mean? There's, yeah. there's so much. There's, when I start thinking about that, it gets so complex, and it goes. There's all the different um, histories in the through the ages of yeah absolutely it's coming out and being suppressed and coming out and being suppressed and different things and I would I would recommend I think that one of the best sources to start with um, is as far as reading goes would be uh, um, there's a book called uh, Gods and Goddesses uh, by Jean Louis Basil maybe. Um, and if you did an internet search on the Orum Solis, which is a, a secret society that's been around since the Egyptian mystery schools, and he's the current grandmaster of the Orum Solis, and he gives a pretty definitive history of the mystery schools from Egypt up until the present day. Uh, Terence McKenna also has a, a hour-long movie out called The Alchemical Dream, which oh. gives you a history of of the uh, Everything starting from John D onward. So he doesn't oh, okay. go as okay. far yeah. back as yeah. Egypt. Yeah. He's all post-Reformation. Right. Um, but that's also um, a great a great resource. Um, Colin Wilson has a great history of the occult book as well. Hmm. Those are probably the three biggest ones I would recommend. Have you ever heard of the Hi- Hiram's Key or the Hiram's Key? I have. Key? I have heard of it. I've never read it. Um. I uh, again, I let books find me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't, uh, I don't tend to read books because I've heard about them. If somebody specifically tells me about it, then I, I'll, I might go source it out. But just because it's sort of captured uh, the the top forty of a of a certain book reading genre, that doesn't necessarily doesn't do lead me yeah. to to, yeah. to to go for it. Because I, yeah. I, I I allow books to find me, and they tend to be exactly what I need. And at that time, at the time, yeah, yeah, yeah very cool. Right on, buddy. Is there anything else? Uh, let's see. Well, it's a bright, sunny day in the mountains. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. No, I I I've had a great uh, great uh, opportunity to speak with you today, Graham. And yeah. Thanks it's for been chatting. Lots yeah. of fun. I think we've covered a whole lot of topics in like 
that hour and a half that we've been talking. Yeah, on here anyway. Yeah, yeah, on plus here. Plus the freaking five and a half, yeah. six hours. Yeah, no doubt, right? The six hours that. that nobody else has heard. <laughs> but I think we somehow managed to actually probably hit on all of those topics, even if it was brief in yeah, this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm great. very happy yeah. about that. Yeah. And uh, and happy back anytime. I'd love it. Uh, yeah. You know, it'd be great. Yeah, thanks, buddy. All right, man. Okay, good luck with all your creative projects. Thank you, Graham, and best of luck to you guys in Gramerica, and keep doing it. Thanks, man. All right, okay. cheers. Bye.
I want a good skull from a synchronicity Graham reads it out, then Darren might give it to me Hey, don't you please read it low, yeah, yeah